So long as the human spirit thrives on this planet, music in some living form will accompany and sustain it. Aaron Copland. Ladies, gentlemen, and variations thereupon, this is Modern Escapism. Welcome to the show. My name is Candy Machine and I shall be your conductor for tonight's performance. Oodles can't be with us this evening as he's feeling slightly out of tune, so it's up to me to be instrumental in running the podcast this week. And as always, I'll be joined by... He's bold as brass and if you squeeze him too hard, he might let out a little toot. It's Gadget. Oi! <laughs> the baritone and occasionally covered in scales, Biggie. <laughs> Hi. Propping up the bars of music, it's Stig. Hello, I'm back. And joining us as a very special guest tonight in what will surely be an absolute highlight of, of his career, we have the exceptionally talented composer and sound designer, Ross Tregenza. Ross, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello. Um, yeah, I'm a uh, composer and sound designer for games. Oh, I've got to remember some of the games. Uh, I've worked I can on- tell you. Uh, <laughs> uh, I do some of the good ones and ignore the dodgy ones. Uh, Cyberpunk, Time Splitters, Crisis, Deathloop. I've forgotten the rest. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good portfolio already. So. Yeah. <laughs> I've got about two thirds of them that I, I, I usually try and reel off, and then the last third we just don't break. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Mm. Uh, now, before we move on to the main show, Stig, you've got some uh, Patreon info, haven't you? Yes. Uh, if you like uh, what we do and you would like more of what we do, then you can head over to patreon.com forward slash modern escapism. On there, you'll find the three tiers that we do. First is modern escapees for £5 a month. That will get you an extended edition of this episode every week, as well as at least one monthly special and any other specials that we put out. If you are into Dungeons and Dragons, we do a D&D actual player podcast called Do Dragons Dream of Scott Sheep? And the Scott Sheep tier is £5 a month. That gets you ad-free early access to the episodes, as well as any access to music, artwork, character sheets, or anything we put together for the show. And you can also suggest items and NPCs for Gadget to use. And finally, the Biggie Bundle, £7.50. That gets you everything. Absolutely lovely. Why would you not go for the Biggie Bundle? Look at that. All off the top of my head now, you see that. No, oh, that was really good. <laughs> wow. and, if you, and if you are if you are a patron, check your feed, because yesterday the uh, parody song from last week's Score Cheap episode has gone up, so you'll be able to download and keep uh, Treble Went Down to Fixer, our parody of The Devil Went Down to Georgia, which I destroyed my voice for. It was so worth it, though. It was an that absolute was banger. And sorry, damn it, I forgot to mention one thing, so I fucked it. Uh, yeah, if you are All from your memory, yeah, if you are, uh, well, I had a week <laughs> off, so you know, uh, if you are a Patreon uh, subscriber, you can suggest an episode for us. And on the December 5th recording, we will be doing your show. So get your suggestions in and we'll pick the best one and we'll do the show based on that. Lovely. Right. I'd like to move on to our Nexus where we have a little chat about what we've been up to this week. So firstly, Gadget, what have you been doing? Um, 
Well, it's a, a, a myriad of things, um, usually chaotic and messy. Um, I've played some games I liked, some I didn't like. Um, but I'm, I'm going to start with um, me and Pippa being watching What We Do in the Shadows Season 3, <laughs> which, which hit iPlayer this week. And it's good. It's, it's even more chaotic than Season 2. It's fucking fabulous. Um, and the production budget has gone through the roof. Like, the special effects are great. The new sets are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got more kind of guest stars in there, like um, uh, Kirsten Schall as, as the guide. She appears a lot more in this one. She's kind of following the following the um, the main group along. Matt Berry's just continuing to be Matt Berry, and they're just leaning into the pansexual pervert that he is. <laughs> so funny, absolutely brilliant. I need to watch the TV show. I've, I've finally yes. got around to the movies, you know, but I need to watch the TV series next. Mm, you, 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 you do. It's really, really funny. Yeah, it's a perfect like, continuation of the, the film, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah it's good. It, it somehow manages to be more silly, but perfectly in keeping with the film, Yeah, yeah. I find. It's like the film was very silly by itself, but that's also because it's Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clements stuck in a room together. That's going to happen. <laughs> um, this one, it's just it just seems to like build and build and build. And even though it's like made by FX, because it's all kind of British cast, it just feels like a, like a BBC sitcom, just with a lot more swear words in it. I really, really enjoy it. I love that the um, the yo-yo dude being in it, the uh, the the gingery dude who's the, the sort of the boring vampire. I don't know if he's still in it by season. Oh, oh, Colin Robinson. He's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Did you know yeah, about his the, the stuff he did when he started doing his yo-yo things around America? No. So no, I didn't know that. Um, before he was really famous, he pretended he could he could play do yo-yo really well and that he was going around to schools all around the states and he would go onto like a tiny regional news programs saying he's going to be in the local school teaching kids about yo-yo and getting them to stay away from drugs and things and then he would always go really dark and weird and they wouldn't know what to do with him and then he would do a yo-yo they said oh, let's see your skills and he can't yo-yo so he just mess it up immediately <laughs> <laughs> and he just travelled around on his own just moving around the states for a really long time <laughs> that's, that's amazing that's like the best kind of like roundabout piece that anyone's ever done we've been pretending to be that, podcasters for a while now well yeah true. <laughs> the only other thing I, I knew him from is um, if, you, if you've watched um, The American Office he, yeah. he comes in he comes in as Dwight's assistant when Dwight buys the building yeah um, I didn't recognise him at first because he's got hair in it <laughs> it, was, it was the voice that twigged me on um, but the uh, the other thing I've been doing the kind of the main one I want to talk about was uh, I've been playing a game called Tormented Souls Ooh. which mm-hmm. is um, by a studio who I can't remember it's a very small studio Frog, uh, Frog Frogwares I think Frogwares something like that um, so you know how this year has been a year where people have kind of ripped a lot of things off just you know you, you, you've got you've gotten to certain points where um, in fact, no, I'm going to start this allegory again. You know, you did, we did the ripoff episode a few weeks ago that I was not, and you know that Stig mentioned that studio that just remakes films slightly differently. <laughs> yeah. Yes, The Asylum. The Asylum, yeah. This is if The Asylum made Resident Evil as a video game. <laughs> wow. Uh... <laughs> it's, it, it, it is a very cheap version of a Resident Evil game. You play a, a girl called Catherine, Catherine or Katie, something like that. Uh, I, I literally don't care who she is. Um, she has these visions of twins in a photo that gives her headaches, weirdly enough. And so she decides to go to investigate, and to go to investigate this, it involves going to a mansion on an island. Mm. Uh, She walks into this rather palatial mansion, gets beaten over the head, and wakes up naked in a bath. As you do. And doesn't notice until she walks past a mirror that someone's taken her eye out. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Feel like it will be a thing you'd notice as soon as you regain consciousness. Um... 
it, but it's it is a although I say it's a rip off, it's a love letter to um to that classic kind of survival horror because it's fixed camera angles, it's tank controls, it's oh, dodgy wow. combat, it's terrible dialogue and voice <laughs> acting, like some of the worst. <laughs> yeah, there's 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 one there's one moment quite early on where you, you're um you're investigating the basement of this mansion, uh, trying to find out how to turn the power back on, and you walk into the um uh into the autopsy room because it's a hospital mansion kind of thing. Walk into the autopsy room, and there's a priest there, <laughs> and your character is just like like freaking out because there's just been this monster like chasing her down the street, and he goes. I think I know you. Didn't you turn up here two days ago? It's like, no, I don't remember getting here. It says, I definitely saw you. It's like, of course she's one of the fucking twins in the picture that's going to be giving her a headache. It's so fucking telegraphed. But it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's the usual thing. You've got the mansion to explore. There are doors that are locked from certain sides. You have to work out how to kind of get around. You do the little Metroidvania thing where you find items to unlock doors, to unlock other things. Um... The gameplay is fine. It's fun. Um, oh, it's got a Silent Hill style other world. You walk up to a mirror, you put your hand through, you come out to a distorted version of the of the reality that you're in. Nice. Like it's ripping ripping off everything. Yeah. Uh, it it's great. It's terrible and it's great. <laughs> I, I really really like it. Sounds a bit like but the medium ha- as well. Yeah, but unlike the medium, it actually has combat in it, and there are, it actually gets quite tense. And I, I don't want to. I, I don't hate the main character. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I know you said it's kind of a rip-off, but it's sometimes a bit of a fine line. Like, when when does the line from sort of an ode to the original material yeah. become, an, become a rip-off? Because you said it's been sort of made with love, like as a, as a love letter, but where is that line crossed? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's got the, um, the, like the Resident Evil menu system for like managing items with, um, <laughs> um, with the, the condition thing with the heart beating. So you've got like the condition good, uh, fine, good, Caution, danger, dead. You know, uh, it has it has a limited save system, so you have to find seven inch reel to reel cassettes to save your data on, oh. and there are not many of them around. <laughs> I hated that. <laughs> I, 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 it, it's one of the things I wish they hadn't brought with them. Yeah, <laughs> like, but it's like they've done a good job of, like you say, the almost the honor of Resident yeah. Evil and making it playable and fun, as opposed to yeah, pretty being much really um, fucking bad. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of things I don't it doesn't do so well. Like I said the voice acting's kind of terrible and some it's like really mixed really poorly like the, the it sounds like the everyone who's done the voice work for it has done it in their cupboard at home rather than like in a studio. <laughs> yeah. Um the soundtrack is really annoying because it if I don't if you, if you remember back to the original couple of si- first couple of Silent Hills you would have a mix of kind of silence or you would have this kind of oppressive ambience in the background but it was like really mixed low and it was just enough to make you feel a bit uncomfortable this is the oppressive ambience but it's mixed really high up constantly <laughs> it's, it's unrelenting and it's fucking annoying when you're playing with headphones on like, i've just turned the music off at this point it's much creepier without the music um but i mean i picked it up for like 15 quid on the ps5 it's a cheap game it's worth having a look at it, especially if you love like if you're like me and love like the old resident evil games because let's face it Capcom aren't going to go back to making that kind of game, and we're not getting a Silent Hill anytime soon, so this'll do. Oh, rip, rip Silent Hill, indeed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Tormented Souls, it's it's surprisingly good, especially for the money. If it was a, if I'd paid forty quid for it, I'd be fuming. Oh. <laughs> you, you could forgive quite a lot in like those sort of fourteen, fifteen pound titles, kind of like Abs- absolutely. And it's kind of nice that they're usually small studios that uh, you know they're not mega studios that that, that all survive and mm. buy the game. So like. 10 or 15 pounds if the game's a bit dodgy and there's some terrible acting and stuff. 
It's fine. <laughs> there's, there's, there is one. The last thing I'll say about it, there is one feature feature that I like. Like when you when your character kind of gets out of the bathtub and she gets dressed. Um, she is wearing like the most ridiculous anime kind of outfit that you can think of. It's like this ridiculously small dress, which like shows loads of cleavage with like a leather jacket over the top. And she looks completely out of place. But the first cupboard that you find has like a pair of jeans and a T-shirt in it for it to wear. And I thought that was a really nice feature if I didn't want to have a wandering around looking like some fucking waifu. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a surreal... Uh, why didn't they just give her the jeans in the first place? Make, make her a Claire Redfield-style character instead of this just random anime woman. Something else that just, just made me think of it as well is the... They've obviously got a budget for this as well. So it's oh, a it lot riding great. on... You know, when you hear about all these... Um, companies sort of crunching and struggling to get games out on time. You've actually got <coughs> development of a game that's copy of a game. You know, there's some risk involved here. Mm. Yeah. For sure. Yes. There's always risk here for the, for the little studios because the, there's so, it's so kind of analysed with the big studios and there's quite a lot of safety and, um, you know, they test things and then they're sort of risk averse. So the little studios, regardless of what they do, they haven't got that safety net. So, yeah. Mm. I guess they're yeah. relying on the fans of, like you say, Resident Evil to go, oh, mm. this looks like what I like. Yeah. yeah. yeah, it's, yeah I mean, it's, on it's, it. the one thing, one thing I'll say about it, it, it looks impressive. Like the, like the graphical style and the way they've done the lighting is really good. I think it's probably using a lot of kind of the built-in stuff. I think it's done in Unity. Uh, but I just looked up the website. So it's made by P-Cube and uh, the lead character is called Caroline, not Catherine. Uh, I don't know why I had Catherine in my head, um, but yeah, it's 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 good and worth playing, especially like I say for the price. Lovely. Well, check that one out. Um, we're going to move on to me next. Um, I have a double whammy this week. I did Ooh. a back to backer at the cinema, which is something I haven't done in years, um, and I wish that I hadn't. To be honest. Um, <laughs> so, first film I went to see, I went to see Edgar Wright's latest offering, Last Night in Soho. Um, I'm sure everyone oh. here knows Edgar Wright. Um, you would have known him for Shaun of the Dead, Hot Furs, Baby Driver, Spaced. And now this film is Edgar Wright turned up to a thousand and I absolutely loved it. So all the kind of wackiness of, of Edgar Wright stuff is there, all the bright colours, all the really stylized kind of, um, I, I don't know what you call it, but the sort of fades between scenes and everything. Um, transitions. Transitions. But I think there's a fancy, fancier way that he describes it, but anyway, it's 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 all there, and it's it's not. It wasn't really advertised as a horror film, although it had m- many more horror elements than I was expecting. And in fact, it was much more scary than the uh, other film I saw, and that was supposed to be a horror film. Um, but I'll talk about that later. But it, it's just absolutely really, really fun. And as all Edgar Wright films do tend to do, things got a little bit dark towards the final act, um, whilst retaining a bit of a lightheartedness to it. Um, during some parts of the film, it almost felt like, you know, some some of the older, well, I, I suppose some of the newer Doctor, Doctor Who episodes as well. They can actually be quite dark and scary, but also a little bit silly. <laughs> it, it was it was sort of like that. Um, I would actually go as far as saying it's one been one of my favourite films to see at the cinema this year. It was a really really good Halloweeny film, and but yeah, just don't don't go into it thinking it's a drama. It's a horror. Make no doubt about it. Really, really good cast, um, well acted, and just just a bit of a romp. I read um, um, yeah. Empire's review of it, I think it was, and they said it's nice that he's trying something a bit more 
out of his comfort zone when you've when you're used to Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, that sort of comedy. This is still a bit more of a horror, I guess, like more direct, something a bit more off kilter to what he's usually going to do. Yeah, and you can see that actually he does put a kind of horror. He he's very good at framing things. So even in Hot Fuzz, there's characters when you suddenly realise they're the baddie, the way they've been framed in the light that's been used. You can tell he's learnt that properly, um, and all that has been thrown into this film as well. So it's it, it's it's really good. <laughs> I just I really enjoyed it. I can't say enough about it. And I don't want to talk. The reason I haven't said too much about the story is I don't want to spoil it because if I talk about it too much, it will probably ruin a little bit. But that said, I'd like to see it again because there's kind of hints of what's actually going on throughout. And mm. um, I picked up a few of them, and I'm sure there's there's plenty more. And Edgar Wright's known for doing Easter eggs and whatnot and everything yeah. as well. Um, you just reminded me very quickly. I just been watching a bit of the X Files. And you know when someone's a baddie in that is that they zoom in on their face yeah. and the rest of the silhouette is dark apart from the eyes that seem to have a torch shining exactly. at their eyes. And it's always a really <laughs> odd angle, isn't it? Like evil. <laughs> <laughs> might as well have a neon sign behind them going, baddie, baddie. Or <laughs> that classic trope of when you realise it's somebody evil, like the, the camera will zoom in whilst pulling back so you get that weird sort of effect like the, the face stays in yeah, focus yeah, yeah, and everything yeah, yeah. else. Accompanied by that noise. I was like that, that really obvious. It's more in like TV, I think, than films. But um, the goodie would be talking to the, the, the undisclosed baddie and they'd be doing happy face. And when the goodie goes, they'd be, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so like, that's a very strong indicator of evilness. <laughs> oh, there was all that in there. It was absolutely great. Now, the second film I saw, not quite so much fun. I went to see afterwards Antlers. And oh, yeah. I've, heard, I've heard things about Antlers. Just, just uh, do you like your metaphors? Well, here's a film about metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> now I went into it into this not knowing anything about, which I like to do. I like to not know too much about the film, and it was sold due to Guillermo de Toro's association with it as a producer, um, and he's absolutely done me dirty this time, bad Guillermo. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a fantasy horror film directed by Scott Cooper, and it's based on a short story called The Quiet Boy by Nick and Tosca. Um, and it's a boy whose father and younger brother become ill after being attacked by something in a mine, and they start transforming into otherworldly creatures. Um, and the, now the trouble is the film just isn't scary. It has a few jumpy moments. Um, and like I've talked about in the past, um, Jump scares are an absolute pet peeve of mine in horror films. Not because I, I don't think they're effective, but when a film relies solely on a jump scare rather than actually being truly scary or having any yeah. kind of atmosphere, it, I just throw it away in the bin. In the bin it goes. You get one jump scare for free. Anything after that, do. Yeah. yeah. Or, or you get as many jump scares as you want as long as you can back it up with actual scares okay, and yeah. uh, a creepy atmosphere and something that will, a story that will actually chill you. But I think all the ingredients were there potentially to make it that, and it just fell flat. It was just, it ended up being sort of dull and monotone, and it was just boring. Um, and it doesn't have any of that kind of magic that you would normally find in projects associated with Guillermo de Toro. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was a fun Halloween week creature double feature, but it was just funny that the one that wasn't advertised as a horror was the one that ended up being more scary than the <laughs> horror film. <laughs> So don't well, go to the antlers. Me, no, I please, please me don't. If I'm wrong, but if um, a jump scare is normally accompanied by one instrument, which is like a violinist, 
and they just go like yeah. that, just to, to help the jump scare, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Cheap. Cheapness is what I call it. <laughs> but anyway, Biggie, moving on to you. What have you been up to? Yeah. Do you know what? Not a lot. I've been really busy with work this week. So um, I'm still playing The Last of Us Part 2. Really enjoying that, uh, as bleak as it is. Um, and I have... I was say, is there enjoyment to be had there? <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting, I must admit, I'm getting a little bit tired of the gameplay in the sense of loving the story. Not a massive fan of the continued, let's go to this area. Oh, there's some people you need to try and avoid or kill. Uh, Go to the next bit. Oh, there's some zombies or whatever clickers to kill. Let's go back to some more people. It just, it's all that in between. There's not much deviation from that sort of gameplay. The cutscenes are really good. Apart from the one I did see last night, which was that sex scene that everyone <laughs> referred to when it first came out. Um, I won't ruin the plot or anything, but it did seem a bit weird. I could see what they were trying to do with the story and why two people were having sex there when they did, but it's just still not quite presented the way it is in films. The emotion wasn't quite there. A bit forced. The reason for Yeah, it just was a bit weird. Um, I think the longer you're going in the game, You'll feel differently about that. You think so? I, yeah, I mean, there's some amazing because it's really tempting as a game developer to sort of put all your cards on the table early because as the game goes on, less and less people are playing it. By the time you get to like a long game like Last of Us, by the time you get to the last quarter, you probably you're left with about probably like five or ten percent of people are actually still playing just because mm. people drop out of the games. So it's very hard um, to, to be good and keep yourself um, from revealing all the fun, complicated mechanics really early. So, And there's some amazing, huge developments and new mechanics and stuff like that in like the last act of the game, which I've got a lot of um, respect for because yeah, I wouldn't have the... I just I wouldn't do that just because I'd want people to see all that cool stuff. And I know that most people never get there. So mm. I think it's lovely they do that. Mm. That's yeah. they, did with the first, they did it with the first game as well. Like The first yeah. game like kept... Kept a lot of the stuff like close close to his chest. Like, he didn't really fight a boss until like eight hours in, I think. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was it was the, the 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 fact that they did it as well with the Last of Us Two is it shows some nice consistency, even though it's longer than the first game. I think it's a long game. I've just done the bit where um, I hopefully you won't ruin anything for anyone along the bridge. Yeah, that's a good bit. Yeah, that was just that was really impressive. Very well done. So yeah, very I really like that. Now, I actually dropped out of The Last of Us 2 quite early. I dropped out around the time where you're first going into the city. And it wasn't that I was not enjoying it. It was that I was genuinely disturbed and upset by what happened in the mansion. Um, And ultimately, I couldn't quite get over it. Would you say it's worth sticking with? Is there any kind of redemption? Because I understand you're following um, two people's stories. I don't think redemption's quite the word, and I don't, I don't want to do any spoilers because it's it's my favorite game ever now. By, by the way, and I thought it was incredible. Yeah, like, I, I came the, away the from it, it very things. Yeah, it, I came away like confused and upset, and uh, <laughs> yeah, a tiny seed of resolution, I guess. But overall, there's not a lot of resolution to be had, and there's just some pretty brave storytelling. And very yeah, and I like it. I'm enjoying it so far. I just, I think for me. If you played this game, imagine if you just got this game over a weekend and you wanted to play it all the way through. Yeah. I think the combat would get really repetitive quite mm. quickly because it's the same kind of thing at the moment for me anyway. 
is that you go into an area and there's like I mentioned, there's whoever you're trying to avoid, kill, get past, etc. And it's just there isn't much more to the game at this point apart from those obvious interactive scenes where there is a bit more drama, etc. But it's just kind of the overall actual gameplay is just feels like it's a bit more too much padding. Mm. And because you're going in backstories as well of people, so you've seen things in the past, but you're still doing the same thing in that as well. <laughs> it's just like, okay, so here's another area. Yes, there's going to be some people I need to avoid, kill, etc. And I just think it needs to mix it up a bit more. So but would you be losing narrative much? Is fantastic. Yeah. Would you would you be losing much if you just watched the cutscenes on YouTube? Um, I mean, I think you could probably watch it all. But I mean, a lot of the uh, the story is still told. Through incidental dialogue, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, but to be honest, I'm, I'm a fan of that kind of gameplay anyway. Like uh, that sort of creeping around the shadows, picking them off mechanic. Uh, I I like it. I just yeah. feel like it's too much of it now. I can see you. Your, your if they took one or two sections out, maybe I'd enjoy it more. I just feel like it's. I just want to get the game going, the story. Just want to continue finding out more about what's happening. But what I do like, funny enough, is a bit like Fallout, where you come across. The notes that are left behind, mm. and there are some really bleak, dark yeah. stories <laughs> told by those when you pick them up. You know, and you just think, "Oh shit!" Because you then look at, you read the note. You kind of have an idea already, and then you read the note, and you just look back around at what's actually happened in that room. You're like, "Fuck!" Mm. There's like a skeleton with a shotgun in its mouth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> read this note. It's not going to be nice. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there was one I found quite early on because um, because I I, I, I fell off the game around about on the way to the hospital. Mm. Uh, just because the time it came out, it was just too depressing for that point of the pandemic for mm. me. Um, but I, I remember finding this little kind of incidental storyline thing, and it was like, finding all these notes say, we, we, we've, we've, got, we've, we've, gone, we've gone to, I don't know, Brian's garage. Oh, yeah, it'll be, we'll be safe there. He's got supplies, yada, yada, yada. And you follow, find about six of these notes, and then you get in the garage, and it's just a massive spore nest. You think, oh, that didn't go well for you, did it, lads? <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, it sounds like I'm really complaining about it, but I'm not. It's, I just think that this is a little bit too much. But like you said, there may be more interesting stuff to come. Um, mm. and I, the weird thing about playing this is you actually, I don't feel like I know how far into the game I'm, I, I, I'm in either. Yeah. It's, just, it's like that continuing story is another chapter. You don't actually feel, am I near the end? Am I not? You know, it's, so I, I'm just going with the ride. It's great. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you think you're done, you've probably got about another 60% to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, enjoying that, um, if you believe me. And um, the other thing I wanted to quickly talk about was that I've been playing the freebie that came with PlayStation Plus this month, which, um, what was it, month before, was the 2K21 Golf. Hmm. So, last weekend I was away, um, went to see Children's of Zeus perform, and when we got back that night, we were really drunk, but my mate and I wanted to carry on drinking and just chilling out, so we whacked that on. And it's a really good golf game. It's, it's a freebie. It's got enough courses to keep you going. People have already made their own courses as well. Uh, we played one that was Halloween themed, which was quite cool. It's got fog around the hole, um, just skulls everywhere, and it's the snakes on the, <laughs> on the golf course. <laughs> random. But... Um, yeah, just really chilled out. Um, you can, um, we had some of our own music playing in the background and we just challenged each other to a few rounds of golf. Um, if we lost, we'd have to do shots. That made it a bit more interesting. <laughs> there but, you go. There, there, That's what makes it a golf game interesting. As an actual alcohol. golf game, 
the mechanics are there. You can make it as difficult or as easy as you want. Um, so it's the usual left to move around the map, right stick to do the swing. You can make it so that if you just go off by one millimeter, your ball spins off drastically. The more difficult you want it to be, uh, it gets really sort of it's quite in depth when it comes around to putting, where you want to get your ball to land. As as you can make it as good, as easy, or as um, difficult you want as a golf game. And I loved it. It looks yes, it, the graphics are fine um it would be nice if things were a bit more there's one brilliant bit where the wind was like about six miles an hour but the trees behind you were going like there was a hurricane <laughs> um but yeah other than that it, it's absolutely fine functionary graphics i would say um sound is fine commentary is actually quite good um this american guy with this sort of southern drawl commented on uh is it is it is it, is it all well, that's super close, Mike, talking in a whisper. Kind of Do you know what? That was absolutely story. perfect. I literally <laughs> thought I was playing it just then. Um, but yeah. It, there's, a, there's a sound to a golf commentator, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But the, the, the thing is, it's just when people complain about the quality of games that the, you get per month and, you know, first-person shooter players, oh, I want another first-person shooter free. Why have I got this fucking golf game? But do you know what? It's absolutely fine. It's great. And you might not have anything, so... Yeah, the the lawyers complain. They say, "Oh, I want to call a duty, not hell let loose." Fuck you! You get a free game. Mm. Yeah, just yeah, check it out. Golf games have always been quite good on uh, computers, anyway. Uh, I hate actually watching golf. Funny enough, but I like playing the games. <laughs> so go figure. So you were taking shots whilst taking shots, literally. Absolutely. <laughs> Stig, what have you got for us? Uh, this week, I've watched a few films. Uh, I'd like to just. Skip through a couple, two of them before I got into my main one. First one I watched was Titan. Um, I was a little bit disappointed in this, unfortunately. It seems a little mm. bit. Wow. Yeah. Put it lightly. I'd seen I've a lot this. of good chat about it, and I was really looking forward to it. And it starts off really well. Like the first thirty minutes are like shocking and brutal, like really unrelenting. And I could, I was watching it thinking, yeah, I could see why people look like. Said so much good things about this, and then after that, it kind of takes a massive nosedive off off a cliff for me. Um, it feels like it's two different films meshed together. Like she had the the director had two ideas, put them into one film, and for me, it just didn't work. Um, mm. I know for some people they absolutely loved it, but yeah, um, yeah, it didn't work for me, unfortunately. I've seen reviews of this saying that people have been fainting and or vomiting whilst watching it. Is it faint or vomit inducing or is that a load? Wow. Um, it's hard to, to understand that because like, I've never ex- had that experience. Do you know what I mean? So I guess there's some proper brutal stuff in it, especially in like I said, that th- first 30 minutes and then it kind of goes into some very weird places after that. But um, I guess I could see that. But then again, like, People said that about like paranormal activity in Saw films, don't they? They're like, oh, it's mm. so scary. I nearly passed out. I'm like, eh, are they? Well, that are was they? a lot of the advertising <laughs> for Blair Witch was that people were being sick. And actually, the reason people were puking was because the camera was all over the place. So, you be sick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, uh, didn't live up to what I was hoping to be. I was hoping it might be up there, one of my films of the year, based on what other people were saying, but didn't quite live up to that, unfortunately. Uh, the other film I watched was The Many Saints of Newark. This is the Sopranos prequel. Oh, yes. No. Not entirely sure who this film's made for, <laughs> being honest. 
HBO, probably. Yeah, it's... <laughs> it's, it's, just, fun, it's just making money, isn't it's it? It's fun if you're a Sopranos fan. If you're not a Sopranos fan, it's an okay gangster film. Like It feels like the director or the writer had a t- TV idea and they wouldn't go ahead with that, so they said, oh, no, you can make a film if you want because, you, you know, there are the younger versions of characters in this and it's fun to see them again and see people trying to act like those characters, but that's not really enough to sustain the film. Terms of like the story and the pacing and everything, it's not that great. And you know, I enjoyed it for what it was, but it it's nowhere near on the level of the Sopranos, which is unfortunate. Obviously, it's made by the same people. Um Michael Gandolfini, uh which is James Gandolfini's son, does a really good job of portraying him as young he Tony. Look like him naturally anyway, but it, yeah. it is quite impressive to see him. He does a really good job of that. Unfortunately, he only appears like halfway through the film. You really don't even get that much time to spend with young Tony. You do like he is in it. Tony is in it up to that point, but it's a different actor. It's like a younger version. Like I think he's meant to be like 10 or something. And then it comes into teenage Tony. Um, I think if this film had been made as a TV show, it would have been really good. Mm. But as a film, it, uh, it rushes along, especially in the last 10, 20 minutes. Um, a lot of time has passed since the show was out as well, isn't yeah. it? Do you think maybe that's people have just lost interest? Yeah, there could be that. But uh, I know I was well up for it when I heard about it. The trailers looked really good. It looked like it was going to be like a really good gangster film. But uh, having the Sopranos connection isn't really enough when you don't spend enough time with... It's a weird one to say because you already know the characters, but with this film you don't really spend enough time with them to make it worthwhile in the film. Would it have been a better film if it wasn't linked to The Sopranos, if it was just a gangster film? No. Would you have viewed it better? Nah, three out of five. Same. Fair enough. Like I said, I think it's a perfectly acceptable gangster film, but it's not going to... It's it's forgettable. No one's going to be talking about this like Goodfellas or Casino or anything like that. I always lower my expectation when I hear that word prequel. You just kind of like, Ugh, do we need yeah. it? Yeah. Like, like I said, if it was a TV show, I think it would it would have had legs, but it doesn't work really for a two-hour film. Uh, finally, the film that I did watch this week, which I thought was excellent, was The Harder They Fall. Hmm. So this was, it's a new film that's just come out on Netflix. It had a small theatrical release, as Netflix usually do these days, and it came out on Netflix earlier this week. It's by, directed by Jim Samuel. It's his first full feature-length film, and it stars Jonathan Majors, Idris Elba, Regina King, Zazie Beetz, Delroy Lindo, Lakeith Stanfield, and a host of other great talent. And it is a black western. So it takes uh, real-life characters who are black and they're cowboys, and it creates this narrative around using these these well, the real life people. Uh, it's just brilliant. It's just slick. Uh, the cinematography is great. The action's brilliant. The cast are just excellent. And what one thing I really loved about it was that the three biggest stars in this, who I'd say Idris, Regina, and Lakeith Stanfield, they're all bad guys. <laughs> they're the bad people. They're not the heroes. They're not the ones that you're rooting for. The ones you're rooting for is Jonathan Majors and his gang, who you know pretty much 
I wouldn't say unknown actors, but if you don't know who they are, you probably won't know who they are. I mean, even Jonathan Majors, if you haven't caught some of his stuff this year, um, until he kind of really <laughs> hits it with, like, he stride with Marvel, I don't think a lot of people are going to know who he is. But, like, he's brilliant in it. Like, you think he's, I mean, he's just going to blow up over the next few years. And, um, yeah, it kind of has this, there's a history between his character and Idris Elba's character, which is established right at the beginning of the film. And then it kind of time jumps into the future where Majors is an adult. And it's just a, a revenge film for Jonathan Majors' character. And he's just trying to get revenge on Idris Elba and his gang. But yeah, like I said, it's it's just I thought it was brilliant. It's um it takes like huge chunks of black exploitation stylings, mixes it in with Western, uh in a Western aesthetic, it's got good humor, it's got moments of pathos, it does a good job of mixing in black culture from like the seventies till now. So the soundtrack is predominantly hip hop, soul, funk, reggae. Um, like the opening starts with a Jay Z track. So it doesn't stick to your t- typical Western sound. And yeah, it's it's definitely worth checking out. It's about two hours long, but the time it flies by. You don't you're never bored with it. I I, mm. I yeah, thought I like it was really, it. really, really good. Uh, mm. and Regina King is fucking awesome in it. And she looks <laughs> amazing, just like dressed out in black in the whole like cowboy get up and she's absolute badass in this. Like so yeah, definitely check that out. Mm. I was actually watching something about it earlier and um, they were saying, you know, how believable is it that it was a predominantly black community within sort of those times in America? And they did some research and actually there were about 70 um, sort of predominantly black towns around yeah. in that time. If, if, if you research the characters afterwards, all these all these characters were real. They were real uh, black people living back in the wild, wild west, wild, wild west. Honestly, <laughs> you are. Oh, no. <laughs> it's Jim Weston, it? Please tell me Jim Weston. <laughs> Any laugh. robot spiders? <laughs> Laughing hurts. <laughs> oh. But yeah, no, these were like uh, like prominent black cowboys uh, back in the, in, in the Wild West days <laughs> who you know, had their own town, black towns and everything. There's, there's a brilliant bit in it where they go into a white town and the caption just says white town. Like it doesn't <laughs> even say where it is. It just says white town. And it's just like all these white people staring at them. Like you can't be here. <laughs> yeah. It's Washington it's, now. Yeah. It's, uh, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really worth checking out. And it's on Netflix. If you've got Netflix, you know, nothing to lose. Have you? Want to check oh. out. And finally, Ross, what have you been doing this week? Oh, um, so Monday, um, I went to see Lost Boys, the cinema, which was awesome. Uh, oh, actual got, cinema. Uh, yeah, I got a group of people in um, Nottingham that, that, that about once a month or every two months put on a, a classic film uh, in the oh, cinema. Cool. They do like Terminator and Robocop and stuff like that, which is fantastic. Um, I, I honestly, I don't think I've seen Lost Boys since I was a teenager. I think it was on VHS when I last saw it. So it's a while ago, probably. Yeah. Um, and... I always you know, thought I liked it and it's kind of on the goth reading list. You just, just as a goth, as a teenager, you just, at some point you expect to have seen it. <laughs> but um, I had no like strong opinions about it as a grown up. Uh, but it's really, um, it's a great film. It's like, it's really uh, light on its feet. It's, it's quite a fast moving, fun film. It hasn't really aged 
that besides the amazing hairdos, it hasn't aged that badly. <laughs> uh, but then films these days are trying to re- sort of replicate that look now, aren't they? So actually, yeah. if you're if you're coming to a film like that, it'll probably feel like home to a lot of younger people now. Yeah. Apart from the, te- the topless saxophonist, is that what you call him? Yes. Uh, yeah. Tim Costello. Tim Capella. Capella, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was about it's as great. 80s as you could get, is that one moment in that <laughs> yes, movie. And, and if you if you watch the video for Gunship's Dark All, uh, Dark All Day, mm. he still looks like that. <laughs> I've seen him live. I saw him live a couple of years ago at a uh, Horicon in Manchester. It was excellent. <laughs> I got him to do, on uh, Cameo, I got him to do a birthday message for my friend's birthday. Oh, fantastic. I just, I just wonder what, like, they just sat, like, Looking at this film and going, oh, what need? What do we need for this bit of this film? Yeah. Having a party on the beach. Let's get a really muscular saxophone player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There must be like a list of ideas what could be in that scene, and somewhere on that yeah. muscular, yeah. oiled up saxophone player. <laughs> that's it. That's Something's not right. Take his shirt off. That's yeah. it. There we go. <laughs> Spurt some baby oil on him. <laughs> I've got it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was surprisingly awesome. Um, and then I finished watching up all the Halloween films. Like my girlfriend and I have been working through all the Halloween films in October. And I think because I, I love horror, I presumed I'd seen them all. And it turns out I've seen like 20% of them, which is shocking. <laughs> um, I'm not even 100% sure I'd seen Halloween. <laughs> I presumed knowing the things I liked that I had. And then I was actually watching it. I was like, I don't think I've ever actually seen this. It's, it's not one of those things that's been parodied so much you yeah. kind of know yeah. what the film is they by osmosis yeah. like I've, I've I've never seen Halloween but I know all the story yeah. beats of it also the, I didn't realise the um, the flow of the films is so insanely complicated so you got oh, yeah. Halloween 1 then Halloween 2 is a sequel to Halloween 3 Halloween H2O and not the new ones or not the Rob Zombie ones Rob Zombie ones are two films on their own Halloween 3 is non-canon and doesn't follow any of the other films Halloween 4 <laughs> joins on to Halloween 2 and is followed by Halloween 5. H2O is followed by H2O Resurrection and then stops. And the new films are a direct sequel of Halloween 1. <laughs> yeah, it's, wow. it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely nuts. So like, please know that now. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you watch all, like the Rob Zombie ones as well? Yeah. 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 Uh, did you go all the way to so you watch Halloween Kills? Yes. Watch the most recent. Uh, yeah, one, I yeah. just I just saw that in the cinema. I I, I loved it. I um. Oh, I, 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 did you not like it? No, I just thought it was too much. He's too. He's turned into Jason. Like, because he was pretty Jasony. Yeah, but like he was. He's just a man. He was just known as the shit before. And now he's kind of like, no one can kill him. No one. No one seems to be able to shoot a gun straight at him. <laughs> <laughs> and he's massive as well. So how does that happen? Yeah, and I, I, some of the deaths were really good, but I just, uh, I talked about it the other week, but just some of the dialogue, like the whole, I'll just say it, the whole evil dies tonight thing was just... That was awful, yeah. That, yeah, that, that was, was the, the week. <laughs> I think like in the, the middle act, there's a lot of crowbarring of unnecessary themes where they tried to sort of tie it into social commentary in some way that didn't need to be there and didn't really work. But I just, yeah. I, I liked him walking around being a relentless force of evil, going through people's houses again. But yeah. yeah, he was pretty much just Jason in a different mask, I suppose. But do you, do you know one thing that I saw someone brought up on the internet? Like I've never not realized this before. Is he gets incarcerated when he's a boy, doesn't he? Yeah. Yet when he come, when he breaks out, he knows how to drive. 
How does he know how to drive? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine well, like a 20 minute scene where he's just working out how the fuck does this do? Puts Radio in comes on. <laughs> <laughs> Windscreen wipers. I mean, to, be, to be fair, Americans do simplify their cars. Put it in D, press the accelerator. Yeah, that's true. Big turny thing in the middle. Just a shot of him looking angry and then disappearing backwards off the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a valid point, actually. It's just one of those like silly ones that you don't think about it, but then someone when someone mentions it, you go, "Oh yeah, actually, that makes sense." How does he do that? Like maybe they have like one of the um, the eighties outrun uh, console arcade machines with with a hydraulic car uh, in in his in his asylum that he played on every day. Yeah, I just pictured him having a conversation with the car that he hit behind him. And then there's the police like making notes about the, the traffic accident. <laughs> Can you take that mask off? No. <laughs> Myers with an with a Y. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've stepped into a family guy too. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, right, so bu- bit of a busy week had by all then. Um now Biggie, would you like to tell us what we're talking about tonight? Yeah, well, this week we're talking about gaming soundtracks. What's our favourite soundtrack, song, or even composer? We're celebrating these wonderful soundtracks. And you know what? We've actually got a dude on here who knows what he's fucking talking about as well. And Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We'll start with Gadget. What have you brought for us? Um, so I, 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 being a part musician myself, I, I struggle with this one because I like a lot of music. And I like a lot of games. And I like a lot of game soundtracks. Um, and I thought about going down the very obvious way and talking about like the Souls games, but I bang on about them relentlessly for a lot of time. The soundtracks are very fucking good. But I decided to go for one which came out of the left field that I didn't expect to be good, because I didn't expect the game to be good. Because I want to talk about Doom 2016. Yeah. I had the lowest of expectations for this game, because I remember seeing the E3 demo that they did. It was like a 10-minute gameplay thing set in the Foundry level. And it looked all right, but it was like so like regimented. It's like, this is a cutscene. This can't be actual gameplay. Uh, and after the kind of, I mean, I like Doom 3, but I was still a bit like cagey because it wasn't really a Doom game. It was a very good horror game. It just wasn't a very good Doom game. Um, but Doom 2016 came out and it was a fucking banger. Mm-hmm. It was an absolute banger of a game. But the soundtrack, good God, Mick Gordon is an eldritch beast of a composer. <laughs> the man is unreal. because, like, So the point where the soundtrack had me is literally you have the opening scene where the the Doomslayer is breaking out of his coffin. He kills a couple of dregs, gets gets the the Slayer suit on, fucks off the computer because he doesn't care. He doesn't care about the story. He just wants to murder shit. <laughs> Happy with that. Kills another couple of guys. You learn about glory kills, and then you get in the lift, and then you get like kind of the intro where it's it's kind of it's a it's a it's cut it's a at Hell's Gate. I think is the track name, and I, I love it because it's this big kind of booming metal track, and it's booming boom, and and you kind of get to the top of the lift, and the music's coming to an end, and in time with the drums, he pumps the shotgun. And I was like, yes, I'm in! Absolutely! Perfect! Give me that! All of that. And Mick Gordon's soundtrack is great, because his instruction when he... Uh, if you watch, watch the No Clip documentary about the making of Doom 2016, cause it's really fucking good. Um, but his instruction when, when he was brought on to the soundtrack was no metal. <laughs> and I was like, he clearly didn't listen to instructions, because that's a metal-as-fuck soundtrack. <laughs> no metal for Doom. <laughs> yeah, they wanted like um like like techno synthcore kind of horrible dirty nastiness. 
Um, yeah, yeah. They originally didn't want metal for it, and then Mick Gordon's like, "Well, hang on a sec. I've got this eight-string guitar. I've got a load <laughs> of samplers and a load of synthesizers. Uh, I'm going to create an unholy noise." And he's like, "Oh, this actually really works." And it's like, it does because like you get. I mean, I'm going to put a clip in here of a uh, BFG Division, which might be one of the heaviest mm-hmm. songs I've ever heard. Absolutely love the kind of thing that rattles your fillings out. You know, it's so fucking heavy. It's my favourite song to listen to on the way to work in the morning, so my neighbours know it well as well. <laughs> it's great for lifting weights too in the Just gym. Just get you riled um, up but- before stabbing people for the dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now just sit down yeah. and relax. <laughs> it's um, but it's not just the metal stuff as well. Like there's a lot of um ambience, and there's a lot of kind of like horror ambience to it as well. Uh, you get some, especially when you when you're not in a combat situation. That there's where you've got kind of like platformy puzzles, or you're doing a bit of exploration. The soundtrack will calm right down, and you get these. I want to call it like non-musical sound, and it's it, it's literally him jamming through a synthesizer, and like f- feeding back on itself in a certain tone. But it sounds great, and it's so eerie, and you can't really pick out notes or a, or a key with it. It's just noise and ambience, and it's. So good, but then you get into combat, and I, I think this is also the te- with the technology with um id tech six, id tech six for this one, um, where they can trigger different parts of the music to depending on what you're doing. So, you know, you, you swap to a certain, we- a certain weapon, another component of the song comes in, you kill a certain enemy, a certain part of the song comes out. Um, all the layers get stacked up as you're moving around the map. The faster you move, the faster the music goes. There's one that, like, if you bring up the weapon wheel in the middle of combat, like, because obviously kind of time kind of freezes, like, the music is, does that in the background, but it's so subtle, like, you wouldn't really notice it. But you kind of almost orchestrate your own score to it around the tracks that Mick Gordon's written, and it's so clever, and it's so good, and it's perfect for Doom, because it's a relentless game, and the soundtrack is relentless, and when those metal beats hit in, oh, God, it's good. So good. <laughs> mm. Do you think that the because I feel like the the soundtrack for Doom Eternal as well kind of just carries that on? Because so I think there's some absolute bangers on that. Like the only thing they fear is you. Is yeah, that one's brilliant. that one's amazing. It's also got like this. The opening's got a little bit of a Doom first level like sound to it in it in it as well. The opening, of that yeah, track. it's like kind of very thrashy guitar mm. sound, isn't it? Yeah, but the, the soundtrack's great uh, for both Doom games. I think. Yeah, I think I, I think I preferred 2016 soundtrack just because I didn't expect it. Yeah, like I expected a metal soundtrack for Doom. Don't get me wrong, didn't expect what we actually got. <laughs> and like I've heard Mick Gordon stuff before. Like he, I think he did Prey. He did. He's done loads of games. Like he's been in the industry for ages, but I hadn't heard anything quite so powerful out of him. Um, he's done some really good work in sort of wait, like when he started getting famous for that stuff. He's really helped sort of jailbreak the um, like the, the sort of the ethos of, of um, the scores of games to, to, to make them a bit more interesting and uh, sort of personality of composer based instead of because like for, for years we had just fairly dry sort of orchestral with 
some rock drums and stuff like that. You just yeah. sort of like pizzicatos and just dun, 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 and the big brass and all that, which immediately... It was the Harry Gregson-Williams yeah, thing. And, yeah, nothing wrong with that. It's got its place in everything, but it was pretty much in every game for a really long time. And um, it's nice that now I think uh, publishers are looking for personality in the soundtracks rather than sticking to quite conservative ideas of what a game soundtrack is. That's lovely. I think he's got quite a lot to do with that. So. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, definitely, definitely that because I remember when Doom twenty sixteen came out as as well. Like, obviously, loads of people were talking about the game because it's an excellent game, but as many people were talking about the soundtrack, and it's really rare that you get people talking about the soundtrack for a game, no matter how good it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I, like I remember when Deathloop came out. I mean, I spoke about it specifically, but I know a lot of people talked about the Deathloop soundtrack because it was so key to the visual style and the style of the game. Uh, in the same way that I think they talked about it with We Happy Few, and like when you get a very stylized game, people will talk about the soundtrack as if it fits the tune. But for your average action game, like no one fucking talks about a soundtrack for a Call of Duty game, do they? No, I don't. Because it's just orchestral, yeah. or it's just the generic background stuff. Whereas, yeah, you're right that you're getting composers now who will come out like, you know, anytime Jesper Kid walks anywhere near a game. People are like, oh, he did Skyrim. Oh, he's good. <laughs> you know, it's like... Yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's down to um, uh, a really strong-willed, in a good way, uh, audio director for the for the game as well. But, uh, Michel Tremolio, who's the audio director for Deathloop, like, he um, he really knew what he wanted from the beginning for all that yeah, stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, we would get down to points where he would send me, like, uh, a drum pattern. He's like, can you try this drum pattern instead? I'd be like, kick, snare, kick, kick, snare, and a bit. Yeah. And we'd get down, like, even though he was doing everything else in the game as well, he'd like obsess about like details of my songs. He'd be like, like bar 41 feels like that's a little early on that one piano note. I'm like, Dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he's a nerd. Yeah. He's a proper nerd. But it was lovely because like when, when it was right, it wasn't like he was just a fuss part trying to put his stamp on it for the sake of it. Eventually, I'd send it like, Version twenty two of a song, perfect. Like, oh shit, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> so Ross, now about 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 version twenty three of this one. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Yeah. So how does it work? Because I really don't know how this works at all. So if you've been asked to create some music for, um, let's say, Deathloop, for example, yeah. Do you get to see much of the game when you're trying to write the music? How much do you see, if any of it at all? How much is relied on? what they're describing they want from you as opposed to you seeing it moving or see screenshots or, I mean, just how does it work? Um, as, as brief as you can, obviously. I don't still my question, Biggie. Oh, um. <laughs> it's, um, it's kind of, uh, it, it depends on a little bit on context of first of all, like if, if you're having to do it, like if it's a cutscene uh, that you're having to score to a cutscene, they need to give you, they'll give you like a early version of the cutscene. It's all just gray box. So it's all just like, uh, non-textured models moving around, but still gives you the time to, you know, timings and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, if you're doing like the like first composer work of, of like the main um, like action stuff, like Tom Salter did in this, I think you probably saw more than I did because I was doing the diegetic music on this, where it's just like they plonk it in the world and it plays to give the world some color. Uh, so they kind of because of the sensitive nature of it and everything, and they can't risk anything being leaked. They always have to keep yeah, everybody as little as possible, but still allow them to do the job. So for me, for Deathloop, I saw uh, almost nothing really. Like we, he, wow. he would, he would give me loads of like reference tracks 
and he would tell me like uh, the sort of thing, the location we're playing in. But uh, I I didn't see any gameplay. In fact, I'm not sure I saw any gameplay at all uh, until um, yeah, I didn't see anything anyone else didn't see. I think there was uh, there's um, a couple of things I did for it. Uh, there's like a bit where we need to split the band into two halves. I think you have to turn a valve off and it kills half the band or something. So, so oh yeah, I remember that. I've, I haven't seen any of the game yet. I can't get a PS5. <laughs> I have no money. So I still haven't played Deathloop. <laughs> so if you're listening, oh, it's, Sony, it's send one along. It's, it's fabulous. Yeah. And the music is great. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, um, generally, if you're an external composer, you, you don't get to see an awful lot. They just have to be careful. Uh, That's amazing, really, when you think about it, because you're trying to create this like you say, this part of the game, which yeah. could be almost crucial to whatever you're creating it for. And you don't even get to see it. That's, that's blowing my mind a little bit. To be I do, like, I'm, I'm working another game now, though, where um, I'm doing lots of tiny little chunks of music through the course of quite a linear uh, story level. And um, because it's so abstract, they're having to, they're, they're putting, I'll, I'll do like a run of versions of, of the music and send it to them. They'll place it in the game and send me um, um, that level played through back. So it's kind of down to the individual um, yeah, yeah. Uh, game publisher, how tight they are uh, like, and how much they can allow to leave the studio. So that one, they're, they're being a bit more open with it. But on yeah. the whole, they're really cautious. And so it's just, yeah, I, I mean, because yeah, things, if things get leaked, um, it causes them so many problems. And because yeah, yeah. so, and, and I, I, I work in studio as well, I know what a huge problem that is. Because people, if things get leaked and they're half finished, like nobody understands that. You could explain it a million times that they'd be like, that gun sounds shit and that level looks rubbish. It's like, well, it's not finished, you bastard. We're still working on it. <laughs> like when the entire of Half-Life 2 got uh, leaked just before it came out and it was like a really broken version of the game. It's like, oh, Half-Life 2 is going to be shit. It's like, no, this is monster. I broke the sacred rule of not arguing on the internet uh, once because the, when I was working on Crisis 2 or 3, it got leaked and... Um, uh, someone has some gameplay footage, including like a gun that I was still working on and had like half the sound missing on it. And so <laughs> only leaked the footage, but then put it online and said, this gun sounds shit. And I was like, I think I'd had a couple of glasses of wine. Yeah. I haven't finished it. Give me a chance. <laughs> uh, so going back to Damon, following on from what you said, Ross, about a, sometimes the soundtrack almost being an extension of a strong personality. Where do you think doom goes from here then having lost their main composer do you think they'll try and continue with the same style or do you think they'll maybe take it somewhere completely different because it's so known for it being such a strong metal soundtrack now it's i think that's very difficult for them um i'm sure they're having a lot of difficult conversations about what to do about that because people expect it that's like so core to the doom franchise now that like big chuggy awesome soundtrack that if you were to change it, then it doesn't feel like Doom anymore. But conversely, like if you get someone else doing it, everyone's going to hate it, almost, mm. almost regardless. No win, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it's a difficult one for them. I would, if I were them, I would go with someone awesome, but who's completely different, and just just move away from that and just draw a line under that. Well, for the for the, for the two DLCs that did the uh, the Ancient Gods, they had two composers for that. And they had uh, Andrew Hushult. Schultz, uh, and David Levy, who are both very well known for their ability to do some banging metal. Mm. So it's almost a bit of a transition then, maybe. 
Yeah, and uh, I mean, I've seen, I haven't played Ancient Gods, but I've seen enough, and you can hear there is a, on the first DLC, they're trying to sound a bit like Mick Gordon, and then on the second one, they had the feedback, and no, no, just do your thing, you guys are good, and it's like very different, but really metal. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe maybe they'll stick in like the broad area of metal, but go for something like a different area, like, like a more ambient or slower, sludgier metal or something like that. Feels like it makes them just stay in that area, but get someone else doing quite clearly their own style under the same one. Yeah. Or use kids bop. They really do. My, my daughter loves <laughs> listening to that. Kids go doom. <laughs> I, I, I think the thing for any future Doom would need they'd need to maintain that kind of that reactive music that Mick Gordon kind of pushed them into, yeah. um, where it's it, you know it's like he puts up like thirty different tracks of samples and it's just like okay trigger this to whatever the player's doing because he doesn't really have to score anything he's just got to put riffs together that work mm. in place. So that's that's probably to uh, be fair that's probably the audio team rather than him. Uh, like they'll they'll be uh, true, they'll yeah. build the the system and they'll give him like a really. Uh, it's probably a to and fro, like because um, I've I've built dynamic music systems. But I've also worked with external composers, and I'll give them a list of what we need for the system, saying like, okay, if you get out of the spaceship, it needs to change to this, and then if you start fighting when you're out of the spaceship, it needs to change to this. We need layers that so you just get like hundreds of layers of stuff. But it's always a yeah. anyway. Like they'll hear it and be like, maybe we could have more of that, less of this. Maybe this layer could come in. So he was probably pretty involved, I'd say, on a daily basis for that stuff. Yeah, and I, th- I, I think just because of the way that works, I think the entire Doom 2016 soundtrack is in the key of D, I think. Yeah. Because it just all has to fit in one place. But it, when you move around dynamically, it sounds really weird to change key and, and like time signature and stuff in the middle of it. It just feels jarring. And when you can't predict what the player's going to do that's going to trigger the change, they could just be going in and out of a room making a key change happen, which would be awful. <laughs> It would be, but possibly also funny for a one-off troll. <laughs> we also know that a key change and tempo change means it's the second phase of a boss that you thought that you think that you just finished. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You 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 reach the second phase and it moves up a tune. Yep, <laughs> and gets a little bit faster, so you start to panic <laughs> and start sweating. I think I think I think that's the Metroid technique. I think. <laughs> I prefer the old games when. Um, the like audio tech wasn't as clever and basically just entered an area where there was going to be a fight and the music immediately became action music. You're like, here we yeah. go. Like now they can sneak up. <laughs> and you knew that one guy was still a left, was still left like stuck in a wall somewhere. He hadn't killed. Cause he's like, where's this one last dude? Oh, there he is. Where is he? Yeah. It's a, it's that classic final fantasy thing. Like you see, you see the screen swirl and you, and you're waiting for that first drum. And if you hear da 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 it's like, that's a boss fight. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Doom. Doom. Good choice. Right, we're going to move on to me, I think. Um, now, regular listeners will know that my absolute favourite game sound- soundtrack of all time is Skyrim. But I have waxed lyrical about this so often on the show, I've actually chosen something different. You'll be relieved to know. Um, but just for, just for kids crying right I now. I know, but what I will well, say is... To my section, I'm crying. I love the Skyrim soundtrack. It's absolutely beautiful. Well, you, you're, uh, I've got some good news for you, because on Thursday, which is the day... The podcast is released, in fact, um, at 7pm, Bethesda are airing a live concert to celebrate Skyrim's 10-year anniversary. So um, I'm going to be crying my way through that one, I think. Are they they going to announce another version of it to buy? Of course they are. You can now go. They already have. They already have. Super, super 
edition on PlayStation 5. Apple, <laughs> Apple Watch edition. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think it's out on, the new edition is out on Friday, and it comes with fishing now. So, <laughs> so you'll be straight in there. Absolutely. So It's for a free real, upgrade, isn't it, for those that have got the special edition? No. they. I'm pretty sure that they said that it was, and then today they said, I think if you've got the special edition already, it's a 15 or 20 pound upgrade. No. So actually, it's not free. Wankers. Yes. Okay. Uh, I've got a problem. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I digress. So uh, the game I will actually be talking about tonight is another one of my absolute favourites, and that's Death Stranding, which I'm currently... Oh, it's a good soundtrack. So, so good. <laughs> um, now, the reason I chose this one is because both the game's score and the soundtrack work perfectly together to create the game's tone. Um, and I really think that a game soundtrack is often vastly underestimated or overlooked in its importance, um, especially within the last 15 years where a game soundtrack isn't limited by the sounds a console can produce. Um, certainly for me, it's like the glue that kind of pulls the whole atmosphere together. And often while you're playing, you won't consciously hear the score necessarily. But if you were to mute it or maybe play something on Spotify. Doing oodles. Um, I bet, he does. I bet he yeah. I bet he listens to someone else when he's playing Death Stranding. I don't think I think Death Stranding's one that actually does it, it won't allow you to play Spotify. I think he's mentioned that before. <laughs> no, he'll just he plays, mute it, why? <laughs> yeah, I'll play it on Alexa or something. Um but anyways, yeah, no, if you were to if you were to mute it or to play something else, I think you'd have a vastly different experience in any game, but Death Stranding in particular. And now when I say it captures the game's tone i'm referring to loneliness and tension bit of hope maybe a little bit of hopefulness um but within moments the composer which is ludwig Forsell, has to shift between a, a nice relaxing hike through the mountains to one of the most tense experiences in gaming um traveling uh, trying to navigate your way through the bts without being spotted and dragged away through black tar, losing all of your luggage and summoning a massive monster to ruin your fucking day. Um, <laughs> I've never felt quite so on edge when you've got a massive payload on your back and you're just surrounded by BTs and they're just hanging there and you've got that very, very quiet but just menacing, spooky soundtrack in the background. And... The score itself, it, it varies from a very classical sounding score, like very classical music with traditional instruments, um, especially within the game's more emotional moments. It will use the classic piano or strings, and especially towards the end of the game, um, you've got more of that kind of, yeah, like a classical soundtrack is the best way I can put it, really. Um, but then throughout the game, you've got more of a science fiction sounding music and which is kind of as unpredictable as the environment. Um, when I was reading an interview with the composer, uh, Ludwig Forsell, as I mentioned before, and sound designer Joe Korolitz, um, and the way the score was created was to, it, they were trying to mimic a, a metallic sort of sound, and to create this, they used actual sort of metal tools. Um, for example, they were using a pipe to bang against various objects, and they were dropping chains on the floor. I think they were instructed by Kojima that, he very specifically wanted the sound of chains. And I would assume that that's kind of to mimic the um, umbilical cords that the BTs are being, um, that's kind of causing the stranding. 
Um, they also took an upright piano, they laid it on its back, and they put screws and playing cards between the strings. So essentially, it didn't actually sound like a piano anymore. And it was, <laughs> it was as if it was a sound that you do sort of recognize, but because it's twisted to something different, much like the VTs in the game, it kind of becomes just that kind of uncanny, unsettling sort of sound. I, I, I love it when people fuck around with a piano and get different sounds out of it, not just the hammers against the strings. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it's like that classic um, the, the Doctor Who theme started off with people kind of scraping on piano strings. Oh, yeah. That is like tapping on the piano strings rather than using a piano properly. You can imagine them saying, can we do this in post-production? No, I want you to pick up that piano, turn it upside down. Yeah, absolutely. That would be Kojima again. No, I want it to sound this specific way. You know, um, the, um, the apprehension engine. <laughs> yeah, the apprehension engine. Yeah, it's, it's uh, an instrument. This guy, he makes uh, weird instruments. He made one, I think he made one for Hans Zimmer first, and he's now made about like uh, 20 or so of them, I think, maybe more. But um, it's like a big box uh, with uh, metal saws coming off it and a big spring in a metal case and then a hurdy-gurdy attached to it and a few other string things. There's a big thing with stuff sticking off it everywhere. And Holy shit, that looks amazing. Very, Just Google yeah, this. They're, they're expensive and wonderful, but they're, they're, they're designed purely for making terrifying sounds. Like everything on it <laughs> makes the most terrifying sound in the world. Uh, <laughs> See, I, I'm imagining something that looks like it's straight from a Hellraiser film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not far off to be yeah. fair looking at looking at these pictures of them. It's, it sounds amazing though. It's like everything off. You can just wind things and hit things and clang things and it just makes instant horror soundtracks. It's phenomenal. And you said that's the apprehension apprehension engine you say. I'm just googling it myself now. So do you you do that? You must oh. do that then, Ross. Like you're trying to find a certain sound and you're playing around with normal instruments going this just isn't clicking and until you change something up and then do something weird and wonderful with an instrument and what to find the right sound. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a blur between sound design and music these days, like more and more the, the two jobs aren't really distinct things anymore. Like I can, I've got so, just a big sheet of metal over there that sometimes I'll just wobble or scrape on and stuff. And I can put that into the, um, the, my modular stuff here and mm-hmm. then just dip, 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 and do things and end up with like, I can end up, I can scrape some metal and then end up with a 20 minute soundtrack out of it, which is <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's cool. Um, but yeah, um, the score, it's, it's also heavily influenced by 80s synth as well. So in particular, uh, New Order's song Elysia, um, the chords of which you can hear throughout the game at key moments. Um, and I don't know. Gadget, if you want to put a clip of that in, but if you've played Death Stranding, you'll certainly recognise it. And the end result is this kind of creepy score with, multi- like you were saying, multiple layers of synths and sounds. Um, and now on the other end, um, you've got the game's actual soundtrack. Um, and if you play the game, you'll know that the soundtrack itself plays a really, really important role within the game. And it's, it's an important part of the experience rather than just being a sort of a token accompaniment to, you know, sell a couple of albums. Um, the majority of the album is by a band called Low Roar. Um, the cues where the soundtrack is actually implemented is often when you're setting off on a long journey, or you're not really knowing what's waiting for you at your destination. And it's the only thing with the exception of your BB that will keep you company on the road. And, 
it's both sad and calming and hopeful again, like I said. And lots of people that you, you do hear lots of people moaning that you can't listen to the music that you've collected on a radio station um, while you're walking around the game. And I actually, I disagree. And I think the actual cues is so important and well-placed that it was ruin the effectiveness if you could listen whenever you want. And also you do tend to just put these radio stations on, like with Fallout, and you just get sick of the same songs. Um, and I remember talking about just how important these cues are. I remember at one moment that I had that gave me absolute goosebumps in the game. And it's when you reach the crest of this huge mountain, you've been on this horrible, like arduous journey and you look out over the horizon, you begin your descent to your destination. And just at that moment, Asylums for the Feeling by Silent Poets kicks in. And oh, is, that, is that when you're heading down to Port Knox City? That's right. That's the one. Yeah, and it's, it's one of yeah the, that's a good moment. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of the first time. I think there's maybe one musical cue before that when you first set off on that journey. But it's, it's one of the first points in the game where it, it kicks in and it just makes your hair stand on end. And it's a, a moment in gaming that I'm, I don't think I'll ever forget. And even playing it twice, it had the, it had the same effect. It just, just instantly, it's just an incredibly beautiful moment, even though, you know, the journey ahead's going to be pretty horrible. <laughs> I like to think that there was a period of time where Kojima and his audio director, like they said that this is going to be this moment. You come to the mountain, you come over, and this song is going to play. And I like to think that it was maybe like a week where the two of them sat there just moving the trigger point on that <laughs> hill back and forth, back and forth to get the perfect moment. I kind of feel like Kojima has people around him that will, will work like that with him because it does, it hits so perfectly when you come over that hill and it's just like, I've seen I've seen people streaming it like and it's the same point yeah. every time someone will hit that hill. It's almost like they've predicted where the player is going to move, and it's so good, such a good moment. It's well, what I didn't realize as well is you can actually miss some musical cues if you don't come from the direction or if you don't go on the journey that's predicted. You just won't get particular songs. Yeah. So it's not like you've been walking for twenty minutes and now this song kicks in. You have to be at a particular place. Yeah, or, it's a physical trigger box. Yeah, so I, I didn't I didn't realise that you could actually miss these cues, and hopefully I haven't missed too many because that would be a real shame. There's a, the, there's a good thing with Death Stranding as well, like the composer and the audio designer, I guess, they know when to use silence because mm-hmm. there are a few sections that there are a few really really tense BT sections, and there's not a bit of music yeah. there. Yeah, and it's your heart in your heart in your throat when you're kind of running through that stuff. And it's like, I, I really appreciate when someone knows how, 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 when to not put some music there. It's just when you get that horrible, like, snipping sound of your Odra deck, mm. and then you use the scanner yeah. that goes, mm. like, all that echoey, Bong. and then all the but BTs kind no, of. There's no music there to oh. fill, it, fill it out. Oh. Oh. <laughs> minging, minging. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to playing that. I can't wait for you to play it. I hope you're one of the people that it hits because it is so divisive, but uh, just. It's such a beautiful game. If I like the sound of it, I like the it. way that those that love it have explained to me for me to like it's, it. Without it's very thought. zen. Mm, I like that the sound of it. 
Yeah, it's both. It's zen and stressful. And I think if if you, I think I've said it before. I find dark souls, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I think if you're a bit prone to being a little bit introspective of life, and I, I've said this before, I think it's going to be. And I think all of us on here are, aren't we? We 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 think reasonably. I don't want to sound um, up up our own asses, but I I think we think quite deeply about things on an emotional level. And that's why we're all able to talk about things that we love so well. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely put. Stig, what have you got for us? So when we decided we we're going to do this, the first thing that popped up into my head, as usual with soundtracks, is the Grease soundtrack. Mm. But as we've did a, we previously did an episode on soundtracks before, just in general, and I just, as you guys I've said previously with other things, I just wax lyrical about that because I think it's an amazing soundtrack. And it, I would say it's probably one of the best. It is for me one of the best I've ever listened to. It's one of the only ones that I'll actually listen to outside of the game. Um, I'm, I, I, I just kind of, it's one of those ones where I can sit and listen to it and just, I just love it. It just gives me goosebumps all over and I, I can sit and fall asleep to it and just... Everything about it is perfect. It's every the songs hit perfectly in the moments in the game. Um, so anyway, I won't talk about that, even though I've just started talking about it. Uh, so I'm going to talk about Disco Elysium. Uh, Disco Elysium uh, soundtrack is done by Sea Power, formerly British uh, British Sea Power. Uh, <laughs> they won a BAFTA Gaming Award for this soundtrack. Um, the only award they actually did win for it, to be honest, which surprised me when which is a crime yeah because it's an ex- amazing when I, when I um when i started looking into into it a bit more as well like i was like just to see what awards it had won it'd been nominated for a few others but this was the only one it won so but it, it's uh it's a haunting atmospheric and beautiful cocktail of like horns strings drums pianos vocals and the tracks just perfectly encompass the disco elysium narrative so i think that it's got a really wonderful blend of genres to the soundtrack that fit the worlds that you're in really well. Uh, each track kind of tells its own story depending on the area or the building you're in. And they, some of them even change depending on the day, the time of day you're at. For example, if you're in Whirling in the Rags, um, depending on what time of day you're in, there's three different versions of the song. And it just kind of changes its beat and its tempo or its mood to try to, to kind of fit that that moment of the day it's a really good mixture of genres like it's really experimental but like so skillfully done sometimes it's like this soft indie rock melody then there's a bit that's a techno rave mix and then there's some sad orchestral string piece that sounds like it's kind of trying to dig into your brain um when i listen to the soundtrack i get this feeling as well like that you're underwater has that kind of feeling to it as well Uh, which i think perfectly fits with Disco Elysium of Sex as well, considering like Harry's head is just a mess of shit floating around in there. Like it's like his head just feels like the stuff going on in his head just feels like he's just underwater all all the time. Yeah. Um yeah, so some of my favorites are like the Whirling in the Rags renditions, the Doomed Commercial Area, which is the song I mentioned about. It's listen to that song, it does feel like it's trying to kind of trying to burrow its way into you. Uh, Capeside Apartments is a lovely soft piano piece which has this like mysterious sound to it. Uh, the Cryptozoologist is a nice part. And then off we go into the Wild Pale Yonder has this Western feel to it. So as you can see, like each, if you go through this soundtrack, everything sounds so different. 
And it all just kind of fits in that world, though. Mm. And then there's Red Rock Riviera, which is just stunning and beautiful. And one of probably the only pieces of music that really hits me hard and actually transports me back into that into that world. Like, it's yeah. one of those songs where if I put it on, I don't really tend to do anything else while I've got it on. I just sit and listen to it. Interesting fact that that song, as well as a, uh, several others on the on the soundtrack as well, were actually songs that they'd already done. So they took that they took that and other songs and samples from other songs and just messed around with it and reworked it for the game. So Red Rock Riviera is actually not wasn't made for the game, but it fits really well within the game. It's- when 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 I listen to Red Rock Riviera now, like because I've got I've got that kind of synesthesia thing where you listen to music yeah. and you get kind of a sensory response. It's like I can see snow mm. because it's always that association when you come out of the whirling in rags, that's when Red Rock Riviera plays when you're in kind of the central part of the yeah. map. Um, and it's snowy and it's a bit dirty and a bit grimy. And it's kind of, I get that. It's, I can almost like see snow when I, when I hear it, it's really fucking weird. I mean, mm-hmm. might have something to do with the fact it took me like 15 hours to get through um, <laughs> Disco Elysium. And I went back and forth a lot on it. Yeah. But it's um it it's so good. Yeah. I, I kinda love as well that um because I'm a fan of sea power in general anyway. Um and one of the things I do kind of love is when I'm listening to just them on Spotify and then all of a sudden a sample part of a Disco Elysium song will appear in one of their songs. <laughs> it's just one of those like one of those ones where you recognise it and you go, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. A little Easter egg I, for yeah, you, I, innit? A little, little yeah, treat there. Like it's for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Disco Elysium, I, I think, the more I think about it and after I finish that game, um, I generally consider it one of my favourite games of all time. And mm. the soundtrack is just an extension of that. For me, it's one of the best soundtracks to a game and it just fits that world and that game so perfectly. It fits the art of the game as well, doesn't it? Like, because the, the, the mm. game is such an artistic game in its visual style and what it's trying to achieve, and like the soundtrack is so. The soundtrack is kind of like highfalutin without being highfalutin. It's like it's so conceptual, and so intricately woven. Like, like Stig, you mentioned there, like all the different kind of tracks in there. I like I say, I it took me a long time to get through the game, like a bit longer than most people. Um, I can't remember the transitions between tracks. It's everything so weaved together so perfectly. Mm. It's like it's it's almost like you have this kind of bad comparison over. It's this kind of like almost Looney Tunes style kind of constant bed of music underneath, where it's just everything links so well into each other. You very rarely get moments of silence, and you very rarely get a hard crash between one track and the next. It's just 
everything's just pulled together and they're yeah. just so subtle. Like, it, it, like I said, like the, there are different genre, different sounds in that game. But if you sit and listen to the soundtrack outside of the game, you'll notice them. But the fact that they're so, like you said, they're so woven together within the game perfectly that you don't notice it. You just you transition from one area to another and then you hear the sound and it, it's not jarring. Even even the moment where you go into Whirling in the Rags where it's kind of playing that, that tune, it just yeah. fits, it just works. And that tune is now in my head. I can hear that opening yeah. little guitar line. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I think sometimes with indie games, it can be the soundtrack that's the kind of the, the magic factor that will lift it up above all the other ones. Mm, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, like for Greece, that's like one of the major things for that. Is I did love the aesthetics. The gameplay is kind of average, if being honest. Mm. There's nothing massive about gameplay, but like it's the aesthetics and the soundtrack. Like that's well, I, I mean, look at Undertale. Like Toby Fox's soundtrack for Undertale and Deltarune are more famous than the games. <laughs> Like Megalovania is a fucking meme at this point. Mm. <laughs> and Journey as well. I talk about that all the time, I know, but it's yeah. a three hour game that essentially could be quite boring, but the soundtrack just makes it just a beautiful experience. I'm with you on that. Mm. Excellent choice, Dig. Biggie, what have you got for us? Well, you'll be pleased to know that Jesper Kid does get a look in tonight because hey. I'm going to be talking about Borderlands. Oh, I thought you were going to go for the Crash series. Bandicoot knowing your record. <laughs> 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 But uh, to be honest, Dick, I'm surprised you didn't bring up the Mario Kart soundtrack. It's on my honourable mentions. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Crash Team Racing. Yeah, to be fair, so, the, yeah, the, the soundtrack to it, it Crash is is pretty good. I just uh, winding big, trying to wind big. I know, I know. But uh, yeah, Borderlands um, first game was released in 2009, uh, created by Gearbox, published by 2K. It is a loot-driven solo co-op multiplayer series, and is as mad as a bag of hammers. It's um, an action RPG, first-person shooter, and it's basically set in we could probably describe as a space western sci-fi setting. The soundtrack was, of course, written not just by Jesper Kidd. Um, you already know some of the stuff he's done, which also include Hitman and Assassin's Creed, to name a few. Um, also involved some guys, Razon Varna, Chris Velasco, and Sasha Dickasian. I don't know. These names are getting harder and harder to pronounce. Um, also known as Sonic Mayhem. Um, yeah, I just... There's something about the Borderlands soundtrack. Each game is slightly different, um, but they're all kind of linked into the world. So when you go and start off in Firestone, you have this real sort of Western feel. We've got that sort of typical... Uh, forgive the technical terms. I'm probably the layman of the group here, Ross, so you'll help me out if you need to. But there's like these guitar riffs that you probably hear in every Western movie or game sort of kick in. But they're also followed by sort of almost like industrial drums. It's like a real weird mixture, um, but it kind of worked for the world. And the actual intro um, for Borderlands, and in fact, all of their games, are licensed music as well. So um, the intro for Borderlands 1, for example, starts off with a scag crossing the road. It's taken out by a car driven by the bandits. And Ain't No Rest for the Wicked kicks in by Cage the Elephant. <laughs> yeah. um, it kind of already sets this madcap scene, but it, the intro is really cool. Then you start playing the game, and then you just get this wonderful music that just gently plays in the background, depending on which 
part of the world you're in, whether it's ice-based, whether it's in the desert, in the, the dusty realms of these towns. And I just love it. In fact, All Lands 1 almost had a Middle Eastern vibe with the music as well. It's a real strange mix, which is trying to give across the beautiful cell shaded artwork, which, again, works with this sort of Western feel, but with this sort of almost cyberpunk lasers and contraptions in the world. And, then, and the rampant screaming of claptrap. <laughs> yeah, robots. Exactly. But I just love it. It just seems to set the scene for these games. You kind of already know exactly what you're in for as soon as you get that guitar riffs. And then when Borderlands 2 was announced, the game, <laughs> the trailer came in with Doomsday by Nero and it went full dubstep. And I forgot it, that. That's right. Yeah, that, that, that didn't hit well, did it? <laughs> but it sold the game, though. It, that was the thing. It got everyone excited. It's a mad trailer. There's so much going on. Claptrap obviously makes an appearance. And it sort of announced that it had arrived. Claptrap doing his, I'm dancing, dancing. And then, um, again, the game starts. The intro kicks in. And then you've got Short Change Hero played by The Heavy. Um, it's a really good song Such as well. a great song. <laughs> And um, again, you start playing the game, and this time it's got that sort of more, um, what is it? Sort of again that that Western feel, but this time they went with uh, what did I say? Bear with me a second. Um, yeah, but then it had a sort of almost like a techno organic sound. It's just really hard to. It was sort of progressive from the first game, but still kind of sounded similar, but had moved on. Um, and then once you had that, you had. The prequel was released, and this was the strangest trailer of all because it launched with the final countdown. <laughs> as the, every game should launch with the final <laughs> countdown, yeah, leading it same out. Same thing. Screen lit up in a flurry of colours, bullets and lasers. Um, got everyone ready for that game, which was actually developed by the Australian team of Two K, from what I remember, uh, or Gearbox, so to say. Um, kind of worked, but it had a more spacey feel with a grander synth techno industrial sound i mean ross tell me if these things even exist i, I can tell you <laughs> what the amalgamation of the sounds are this is how it sounds to me no they, those are all those are good adjectives <laughs> i don't there's a genre name for it <laughs> and then uh finally ball ends three um the official trailer came out with mm. can't hold me down by grizz um and this was also um done by jesper kid who was on pretty much every single one of the games this time he worked with Michael McCann, who I love from Deus Ex. Um, and this time the game was like a combination of all three of the previous games. So it's just this feel of, you feel like every game that you're playing in Borderlands, you feel like you're in the same universe. But the soundtracks, all the different planets that you go to, the areas, all have a different theme, but they kind of link. Again, almost similar to like Disco Elysium, they just seem to fit together. They sell the area that you're in. Um, when you're in the middle of a fight, yes, the music kicks in, so that sort of boss battle music. And then as soon as that battle's over, the other background music slowly comes back in again. It's great. It's brilliantly done. 
Um, and I just think it works well with the aesthetics, the tone of the games. I love it. Massive fan. It's all such a wonderful assault on the senses, isn't it, Borderlands? You know, <laughs> with the amount of things that are going on on screen with the soundtrack as well. And it, it, and I, I normally struggle with things getting overwhelming, but Borderlands just works so well. The music goes so well with what's happening on screen. It's, it's never too much to cope with. Yeah. It's amazing. I, my favourite thing about that whole game was um, the gun that was a really powerful gun, but it spoke... And it was like a really annoying surfer. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> <I saw> that, <laughs> <laughs> Almost a sarcastic yeah. gun. Like you had to make the choice of do you want to use this awesome gun? But you have to deal with him saying like things that you zoomed in, he'd be like, zoom it in. Yeah, I totally remember that. Yeah. And it, yeah, I'm a massive fan of the games. Um the third one I've talked about before in this pod um wasn't the best out of the three. Um, or four, if you want to include the prequel, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this new kind of slightly D and D based. Oh, one I can't wait! I'm if really excited for that one. Any of that Tiny Tina's DLC from before, <laughs> then yeah, we're in for a treat. Mm. But again, I'm looking forward to the music for that as well. I'd be interested to see what the soundtrack's like. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they've kind of uh, steered away from it being too Borderlandsy because it looks like they've, they've certainly made a few changes. Obviously, with the gameplay, but in the actual. Um, aesthetic style as well. It, it looks like it's it's slightly different. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, like you said. So yeah, I'm excited I, for that. One. I like the um, what you said about uh, the use of licensed tracks. Um, Candy had mentioned it for Death Stranding as well. Like when the placed when the unique when you find the perfect licensed track and it's placed well within a game, it can work yeah. just as well as like the piece that might be composed or made for the game purposely. Uh, I. I not just because you're on Ross, but Cyberpunk obviously has for me has one of those perfect ones we've run the jewels to start the game with. <laughs> like for me, I, I just think it works really well. I actually, really, I really like that the, the the band. I really like that track, and it just worked really well for that kind of cutscene it shows of you and um. I think I forgot, forgot the guy's name now. Um, v V yeah. Uh, I just really like that opening sections. Just uh, yeah. it works really well for that. Licensed tracks are, are tricky because um, if you're a, a like a mega company and you've got all the money in the world, it's it's not a problem. But uh, licensing a track for a game, you would not believe the amount of money it costs. I can imagine. <laughs> Most of the times uh, on games I've worked on, at some point, like a uh, creative director or something come in. It's like I thought we could maybe use like this like Madonna track would be fun for that bit, but yeah, that's probably going to be about five hundred thousand pounds if you want to use that. It's- so this so this is why Rockstar haven't released GTA 6 yet. <laughs> they're still paying yeah. off the licensing yeah. costs for the radio in GTA 5. <laughs> absolute fortune then. Yeah. Well, especially because wow. there's obviously, I, I don't know if there's a limit on the amount of time for, you can use it because they keep re-releasing that game. You say, you know, you say about Skyrim, but GTA has been going 10 odd has years. the so- in-game playlist changed because of that exact reason? The licenses have gone for some of the tracks they've, they've had to pull them and put other stuff in i'm sure um, i think streaming has caused problems um because it it um negates some of the aspects of the original um con- this really boring i don't know <laughs> it's 
um, yeah, the streaming has changed a lot of the original contracts for games. That the game, like you know, the games are still going, but now people are streaming on Twitch and stuff, and that wasn't accounted for in original contracts. It's the most boring thing I've ever said. I'm so sorry. It's one of the things. That it's not. It's not necessarily related to games, but I remember reading about this, which is uh, if you watch Scrubs on like modern streaming platforms, like Scrubs. Or, orchestrated a lot of the comedy bills with a lot of the drama around the licensed soundtrack that they had for the episodes. But when it went on to like Netflix or Hulu or wherever you you watch it now, um, they had to go back in and re-edit the episodes with different stock music because they couldn't have like <laughs> yeah. Coldplay or shit like that. that. In, um, sorry. And, yeah, it, it, it's happening for TV, but it's happening for games as well. It's like the, um, the Tony Hawk's 1 and 2 remaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got most of the soundtrack there, but, but there was some... Yeah. I think, could they not get Public Enemy or could they not get Rage Against the Machine? There was someone that they couldn't get because they went, no, we're not yeah. doing that now. <laughs> you, get, you, get it with, um, you get it with pro wrestling and go back and listen, see them. Um, and sometimes the music makes the moment, like I've talked about before with the Sandman coming out to enter Sandman. And then when the licensing runs out and you go and watch like the repeat that they've put on their official YouTube channel and it's just some absolute generic bullshit. And you're like, this doesn't work. <laughs> It's like why can't they get one of those guys that's just the piano music in elevators to do like Enter the Sandman <laughs> like, just on a Hulk piano? Hogan, when he was Hollywood Hogan, <laughs> used to come out to Jimi Hendrix, and then if you go back and watch the actual uh, the entrance way back, I think against the Rock, it, when he comes out, it's just like it's, it, it generally is just it's like that like just doesn't work. It just sounds shit. It sounds like they've overdubbed it. It just it doesn't work at all. I think you have to pay a license, even if it's a cover version of the song, even if it's just the elevator music. Because I know in in pubs and stuff, if you have bands that play cover songs, you still have to pay your PRS license. Yep. So yeah, that's um that's an interesting one. Yeah, I've just realised Borderlands Two has um, "How You Like Me Now" at the end of the game as well from the heavies. There's two of their tracks in that game. <laughs> just a quick one on GTA. The game has made six billion dollars, so I'm pretty sure they're all right for. Paying license tracks. <laughs> just just paying it off. <laughs> yeah, I think they're all right. <laughs> I built the form Madonna for the next one. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Ross, what have you brought for us? Right, so soundtrack-wise, uh, and I guess slightly composer-wise, um, there's a, a formative one from when I was little that I think is just, I still love now. There's, I think the one that first sort of woke me up to the idea of uh, game soundtracks in the, whatever, about 2000. And then my favorite one as a sound designer slash composer now. So little boy one was on my Commodore was um, the last ninja, which was. Oh mate. Yes. Ooh, yes. Uh, ben Dugleish was a um, phenomenal composer and you had the, the SID chip on the Commodore, which was fairly, Yes. It's just four tracks are available and you have to do a lot of really clever stuff to, to get some juice out of it. I mean, I, I struggle to write anything meaningful now with the, with the most amazing, wonderful tools in the world. So the fact that Brenda Glish wrote songs for that game that even now, like really pull on my heartstrings and stuff. Like it was such phenomenal music. It's beautiful. Um, do you think it, it's not recognized that talent? from those days, like you say, having that small sound chip, but getting that sort of music that sets the atmosphere for games back then, because you're absolutely right. There's so many great music from those days. I think um, 
I think it's kind of generally outside of like the sort of the niche world of like synth chip music fans. Uh, the early game music is kind of looked at fondly, but but not with anyone really thinking about it as being in any way particularly evocative or pioneering. They're saying, oh, it was cute back then because it was so simple. But I mean, they did some amazing work with what they had. So mm. I mean, kudos to him. I, I, got, I got to meet, he, he passed away a few years ago. That's right. Yeah. Um, I got to meet him about 10 years ago at a Commodore music convention in Brighton, which was... Wicked. Which was, that definitely sounds like a Brighton thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm from down that way, excuse me. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you sound like a Brighton thing. Oh, that's fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, it was, lo- it was the loveliest, nerdiest night ever. It was wonderful. And I, uh, I, I got to tell him I'm a game composer now, and it's mostly because of uh, that Last Ninja music, which is nice to be able to say. Have you heard the Rio remixes on the instant replay stuff? Is that the, um, the what's his name? The guy who did more of the last like, interview was doing like a Kickstarter. Is that that? Yeah, the, 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 they've taken the original, the music is still there, and then they've just tried to make it sound a bit more current and there's different remixes. It just sounds really cool. It's, it doesn't take anything away from the original, and you can still obviously have the originals, but it's just nice to hear it in a different way. I started doing like a cover version of my favorite song from it about two years ago, but it was just, it was just shit. <laughs> what am I adding to this? I'm just making it worse. I'm going to stop. <laughs> Sometimes you need to know when to not do something. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that really, uh, I didn't realize at the time, but that was very influential to me. And I still think that's, that's some beautiful music. Uh, then I think after that, the first one that really, stood out for me although that by the time i got to about 20 i was listening to quite a lot of the soundtracks a bit more consciously but um the original time splitters soundtrack by graham norgate who also did uh, goldeneye um that was that was the first time when me and my friends were playing it and we we would were consciously like it was nice you could select when you're doing multiplayer matches you could choose the song which was uh good in the way that it, 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 I think it would give you a recommended, but you could change to the one you liked. And that meant that you were kind of consciously picking your favorite song to play during the, the, the multiplayer matches, uh, which so we, we, we got favorites and stuff like that. And um, um, yeah, we, we loved that music. And I ended up running into him at a gig for my band. And he liked my music and I liked his music. And now <laughs> me and him have been doing stuff ever since. So, well, best buddy, we do. Wow. <laughs> There was also an option for Outrun, wasn't it? Yes. In the arcade, you could choose the Ocean Breeze, whichever track yeah. you wanted. Yeah, there's a very niche, though. You're right. I didn't realise that was in time. I got, that I got free with Outrun on my Commodore over there on that bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because it came with um, the game tape and the tape with the music from the game, which yeah. phenomenal music. So Amazing. good. It was. 
I started doing cover of that as well, and that was also shit. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sure it wasn't. It's, 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 it's one of those things that when you try and like reinterpret something classically, I remember trying to. I, I I got really into. I don't know if you've seen him on YouTube, Family Jewels. He does like metal covers of like um, uh, video game music. I thought I'm going to give that a try, and I remember trying to. I started kind of like layering together like a cover of uh, Green Hill Zone from Sonic One yeah. on my guitar, and I was just like, I got about. I spent about eight hours on it. I'm like, no, this is shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is this the, this makes the original worse by existing. <laughs> All the notes were in the right place. It just sounded like ass. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it just doesn't work. <laughs> no. Uh, and then I guess um, the last one, uh, which was just awesome anyway, but by that time I was already um, in the industry, like quite early, I guess. I can't remember the year. But the um, Red Dead 2's soundtrack, there was a lot about that. The, um, I, I guess I understood a bit more about what was going on, but it also inspired me to do a lot of stuff. But it's just so awesome because the like the ambient music it's a very good dynamic music system but the ambient music when, when you've been wandering around for a while it gets very uh minimal and it's like of any game at that point and before i think it was the one that was most like sympathetic with the ambient sound so um you would be if you're wondering just driving your horse you know, in the middle of nowhere not be doing anything it dropped to what i guess was their like most minimal state of the music and they would go down to just like just little scrapes of guitars and slight jangles and like a little bit of like brass that carried on the wind, but it would like fall down to nothing. And then you'd get like the sound of the trees and the crickets and stuff like that. So it wasn't like it was a constant bed. And that was really important to me. So I don't think people were generally thinking that much before that about the the interplay of the ambient sound and, and the music at that level. And it was just lovely. It was just sort of like, it just kind of carries on the wind while you're wandering around. It's Mm. so do you find that knowing what goes on behind the scenes affects your enjoyment of a game sometimes? So, for example, you are just that much more conscious of how the sound has been designed, whereas if you were playing it with layman's ears, it, it wouldn't affect it. But there's just something just niggling that you, you think to yourself, I would have done it this way, or maybe they could have done that and it would have worked better. Yes, yeah, completely. Uh, it's, it's ruined my dream. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, like films, I can still enjoy for what they are, but uh, games, even if the game music is wonderful, I'll, and I'll still get hit sometimes by really well-done moments. Generally, I'm just thinking, this ambient music's been on loop for a while. So, ugh, <laughs> this, this transition to action music is a bit obvious. <laughs> it's like, I just, in my head, I'm just going, shut up. <laughs> for God's sake. How, how does it feel when it's your own music then? Because I assume that you must have played games where you've been involved in. So then are you a bit like an actor who can't sort of see themselves on screen and you're playing the game and you're like, oh, this is that bit I did. I could have done that better. Or yeah, are you actually able to move on from that? It's it's quite hard to listen. I, there's not been many times when I've uh, finished the music and heard it in a game where I feel like that's perfect, exactly as I wanted, and yay. Like normally I'm like, oh, I knew that baseline was a bit shit. I could have done that much better. Yeah. Or like, oh, I could have spent one more night like redoing that synth line and it would have been so much cooler. It's, it's, it's just, I think it's, it's, you know, it's a cliche, but it's, it's hard to let the stuff go. Yeah. Mm. How, what, what, what's it like when you've done, when you've spent, you've done work and you've spent, you've spent time doing music for a game that turns out not very good. 
like the, the game is not very good because like, I was just looking on your website before and I just noticed that that you were involved with Haze. Hey now, <laughs> that, that legendary PS3 turkey. Hey now, <laughs> I'm not saying your work was bad. Yeah, um, yeah it's it's difficult because uh, like you don't yeah you know, I don't work any less hard on a game. No, of course. And and so yeah, I try and do my best for all of them. And yeah. if the game comes out and gets an absolute beating. Very, I mean, almost never will someone be like, "That game was absolute horseshit," but the soundtrack was amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah, like if you do amazing music on a mediocre game, no one will talk about it. Mm. If you do amazing music on an amazing game, then you know, like I was really happy with the music on Deathloop, and Deathloop did really well. So the yeah. two yeah. things finally came together. Like, uh, like even with, with poor old Cyberpunk, it's taken such such a beating over all the, the bugs and stuff like that. The the, the um and not, I'm not even really talking about my, my work on that because my work is very peripheral on that. But like the, the composers on that, I think did a fucking phenomenal job. Like there's some really good music yeah. in, in Cyberpunk. And like uh Martin, the audio director, he had such a strong concept for all of it. And it wasn't it wasn't a lazy concept either. He didn't just do some synth wave and industrial. Like he wanted it to be more like nineties and esoteric and stuff like that. And like, you can, you can see like that cyberpunk yellow and you can hear that particular genre of music in your head, which is almost like their invention for, for that game. And yet because the game was such a beating, people don't really talk about the soundtrack, which is a shame. There's, there's a thing with the cyberpunk soundtrack. And I don't know if this is just my years or analyzing it or what, what have you. But it almost feels like there's there's about a good half of the soundtrack that feels like it's been written, it's been recorded, it's been mixed, and then it's been mastered through a tape deck so you get that kind of that 80s vintage warble out of it. And I love it. <laughs> I'm absolutely there for it. It might just be some filter you've put on in the mastering section. I don't care. It sounds amazing. <laughs> and there's been a, there was a few times I was playing, because I haven't, I haven't finished the game. I, I got it on Xbox, and it got to the point where it's just like, okay, I'm sick of having to restart this now. Let's just leave it until they fix it, and I'll go back to it. <laughs> there was a couple of times I remember just driving around Night City, and it was just listening to the ambient mm. musical, listening to whatever music came on the radio, and it was just like, and there, I mean, I, there was one of the radio stations, a metal station. It's fucking dirty, and I love it. Um, there's such so much good music mm. in it. Often we, at work we put on the cyberpunk soundtrack to listen to, but that was some of the best times I had in the game, was just riding around on my bike and listening to music. And I think it got a bit of a slightly unfair beating, and it it did get absolutely uh, panned in reviews. But I think it, it it was more a case we've talked about it before of it over promising and under delivering. And if it had just come out of the blue, nobody would have complained. In fact, it would have been rated quite highly. I think. Yeah, it's a real shame. I think um, it's weird with reviews as well. You can't kind of like. Uh, so retrospectively increase the score if they fix the problems mm. because mm. they have fixed a lot of those problems. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if Cyberpunk would be one that would do that when the next-gen patch comes out. Because, because all, all the reviews at the time were saying, like, don't play this on the, on the Xbox One or the PS4. It works okay on the Series, 5, uh, Series X and the PS5, and it's great on PC. But I wonder if when they actually finally do drop that patch, if, they'll re- if people, output, uh, outlets will re-review it. Because really. I mean, I know people like Digital Foundry will 
get their greasy mitts yeah. on. If if they, I wonder if they would actually re review it. Maybe now that it's finished. release it as the ultimate edition. So technically, it's a different game. <laughs> they would have to, I think. Oh, that means we'd have to pay yeah, for it. Yeah, but that's what, like. That, <laughs> That, but that's what they do like The Witcher 3 isn't it you've got you do have The Witcher 3 and then there's The Witcher 3 like the ultimate dish or something which are technically reviewed separately mm. so true not to mention oh shit I should have talked about The Witcher 3 soundtrack because that's a fucking banging soundtrack <laughs> it is yeah. my, uh, my, my biggest regret with Cyberpunk is because uh, I ended up I had to write 130 little mini songs in everyone had to sound like a different composer which was very very hard and it was a lot of fun and then sort of getting increasingly stressful and difficult as time went on and the last one i did out of 130 was for this tv ident thing for this tv channel in the game where they play just adverts uh, called Own, only ads or something like that in the game um and i wrote it it was the last one i did and i was so burnt out and tired and emotional and i wrote it at about three o'clock in the morning and i was like i don't know i'm doing i don't know who i am anymore <laughs> <laughs> So, so was that your contribution to cyberpunk? Was it was like incidental kind of like background music, TV yeah, music, yeah, radio music, that kind of thing? Banners and TV ads and all that stuff. So it was like all the in-world stuff. Um, and that was the last one I did. And it was just, it was ridiculous and weird. And I was like, fuck it. I think, yeah, whatever. That's, I think that's, this is a thing. <laughs> and that is like the most prominent one that I, that I have won. <laughs> I I was going to say maybe the crushing depression uh, actually helped the uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. project. <laughs> I played the game. I was like, no, not that one. <laughs> right, so I was just looking at my notes here. I've just noticed something. Are you aware of the Easter egg in Homefront, the revolution? Well, the, the Time Splitters 2 arcade machine. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great story behind that where um, whoever the fan was in Homefront put the arcade machine in there with the game time splits, but it's supposed to be one level. Yeah. They've actually it's a whole bloody game, put a code it? in there that you can, uh, uh, you know, type in or however it works that you get the whole game, including the multiplayer side of it, apparently. Yeah. But yeah. the code was lost, apparently, to the world, and no one knew how to do it. And then somebody got in touch on Twitter with the guy that put that in there, and he's like, yeah, I've got the code somewhere or something. <laughs> he actually had it. <laughs> and, and, and it went out onto the internet. So now anyone that gets that game gets Time Splitters, time splitters 2 as well. Amazing. That's that was such a good game too. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's the... I, I think it's probably the same person. I won't say his name in case he yeah, doesn't of course. talk about it. But um, uh, a coder from who was with us still by the time we were uh, Dan Buster was like with us back at Free Rad. Radical, and um, he made a version of Time Splitters that um, had a grid of about a hundred versions of the game that you looked at at once and played with one controller. <laughs> uh, but like the game diverged because of like slight random changes and things like that, and AI behavior and stuff. So you have to play all hundred versions of the game at once wow. <laughs> on one controller, even though different things were happening on different variants. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I just have fond memories of playing those games. But I would actually I like to play that. I have no idea how they sort of hold up now, but I'm, I wish they'd release a new one. Mm. Oh, it works so well now with online multiplayer, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Free Radical's back, the, um, the company that made... Mm. They are? Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. You never know. Excellent, excellent choices, everyone. Um, moving on. We're going to do something slightly different. We don't have a bulging sack this week. We have a heaving chest, being as I'm in charge. Hey, <laughs> like it. 
<laughs> a heaving chest of listener mail. Okay, fair enough. Well, well your look of absolute panic, gadget. I was going to say, mean? What, what are you doing? This is my bit. Um, I thought she was taking the piss out of me. <laughs> I'm sat here cuddling a pillow against my chest. <laughs> no, that's a wheezing chest. You just want to hide. Poor made of crisp stig. I am, fortunately. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so starting off, Smashes Clears ju- jumped in with, uh, I- I'm sorry, Biggie, this is going to trigger the fuck out of you. Uh, I would argue for the boss music in Dark Souls, but I don't want poor Biggie to have to hear the Ornstein and Smo music again. <laughs> Man, I got stuck. That's probably the longest I got stuck so far in that game. Oh, <laughs> that battle. And it is. The music is incredible, but, but I got sick of hearing that shit, I tell you. It was like three streams it took it you to get through them or something. It was like nearly 50 attempts. Damn. But, I mean, the All Sign Small Music is fucking great. Uh, and you then finished off, it's between that and Father Gascoigne's theme from uh, Bloodborne, which is uh, leads us into John Cheatham, uh, who says, Father Gascoigne's theme from Bloodborne, the, uh, called The Hunter, is incredible. Became one of my most played tracks on Spotify. I'm not ashamed of that. It's essential, in fact, as once the theme gets to the best bit during the boss battle, one of us is usually dead about 15 seconds later, so, don't, so I don't get to hear it for long. Uh, I mean, he's not wrong there. Like The Gascoigne's theme is amazing, and actually all the Bloodborne music is fantastic. It's this kind of really dark orchestral music. Uh, although I'll, I'll probably say the Lady Maria track is better. Um, he also goes on to say everything Darren Corb does is is immense but the music for Hades really takes an already immaculate game into the stratosphere when you're trading barbs with Theseus and his minotaur buddy all those metal riffs kick in and the boss fight begins what a moment (laughs) I mean Darren Corb is just transcendent Uh, Super Natty Cat has said um, oh god I'm going to sing this one because uh, she's talking about the music from Final Fantasy. I think she's talking about Final Fantasy fifteen here because she's just put within musical notes. Uh, it, I want to ride my chocobo all day. <laughs> <laughs> which is the which I think uh, Prospero, Prospero is that his name in Final Fantasy fifteen? So he sings that when you're on a chocobo at one point. <laughs> and obviously that's the chocobo theme that's been in every Final Fantasy going on. But it's the first time someone's put lyrics to it, and I, I remember hearing that the first time <laughs> yeah. playing it. I was just like, I hate you. You little blonde fuck, I hate you so much. Prompto. <laughs> Prompto, Prompto, that's it. Prompto, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just saying, or, or for that matter, any battle boss music from Final Fantasy X and upwards, especially mm. the Sephiroth soundtrack, which I assume she means from the remake. But, but a chocobo race has a banging little number, and even the Battle 1 music that goes... Classic. I was very close to choosing Final Fantasy X as my choice tonight, because I can still... There's still... The opening uh, title music that I can't listen to without crying because it's just oh the, the memories associated with it and the, the game is just oh I, I absolutely love it. Ten's one of my favourites, funnily enough. But then the sure. music in seven as well, and that's just incredible with, with what you could do with it, essentially a MIDI file. Yeah, I'm sure I mentioned it before, but my mate last ginger, um, he got married to uh, in a church and came out to that little da, 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 as they came out. It's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, the, the MIDI files that Nobu Ometsu put together for Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9, it was just they're, they're unreal. Like, the amount of composition mm. that goes in there for these tiny little music files. It's obviously, it's all down to the sound chip on the PS1. 
um, which but, could do a lot more than what the N64 could do at the time. And it was- the, the other thing that's really important for people to think about as well is that when you are playing those type of games, those battles are so often that that music has got to be listenable enough that you can put up with it because it's that loop, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, especially if you're in areas where you're constantly hitting random battles. It's just kind of, yep, here we go. But yeah. you've got to, yeah, be able to put up with that music. Mm, even the battles themselves can last like 45 minutes. Yeah. Well, the last, the last Sephiroth one took you 25 years, Biggie. <laughs> uh, Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, always. Uh, Leroy Francisco said uh, he agrees with me with their Doom 2016 had such a good soundtrack. Listed loads on Spotify, and it's not even really a genre I listen to. But he also goes on to say, I have to mention Hotline Miami. Yes. Yes. And Celeste, which I'd forgotten about because Celeste has such a good soundtrack. Uh, yes, yeah, it's two really good soundtracks that I also listen to a lot. And you never yep. really think about Celeste for soundtrack things, but when you think about it, like the music is really good in it. Especially uh, for me, like the one that always sticks out is the hotel theme, like the music that plays when you're going through the the third chapter, um, and then you get the chase music at the end when the hotelier is chase is becomes an evil ghost thing and starts chasing you, and it's awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I have PTSD from Celeste. It took a lot <laughs> out of me. <laughs> Uh, Pete Beckett has said two of my favourites for different reasons Streets of Rage 2 a glorious slice of 90s techno and dance and still slaps today and <laughs> second and I can't believe I didn't think of this one either Mario Galaxy yeah it's in my uh, honourable mentions Galaxy yeah one of Nintendo's first attempts at a full orchestra and it still blows my mind how good it is yeah I love it I, I, like I say I'm, I'm still playing through the game to be honest I just jump on and off it every now and again uh, but the music is one of the things that I absolutely love every time I jump onto that game. So it's because it's not as good as Crash Bandicoot, the platformers. Oh no. <laughs> That'd be silly. <laughs> Even you can't pretend that Crash is better than Mario Galaxy. <laughs> Jesus. Just, just out of curiosity, Ross, have you ever worked with a full orchestra? Because that's kind of like an aspiration of mine at some point to have, have, have control of a full orchestra. He has 96 people, you're doing what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, oh. I am now. I am. I, I am actually. Uh, I have been for the last two weeks for the first time. I'm arranging files for them and stuff. It's um, terrifying. Wow. <laughs> it's Are you able to say what for? Is it going to be all? You can't say. Uh, I, I can't, unfortunately. Um, but um, yeah, it's lovely. It's the first time. But it's Halo Three. Uh, not Halo Three. It's Half Life Three, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I went, I went and assisted for a recording um, for Star Citizen that I worked on a few years ago, but that wasn't my music. I was just there um, making sure they they made the files right for our um, uh, the way we needed stuff. But it's still amazing. Like the our composer had like this theme, uh, the, like a really big. It's like an eighty piece orchestra, and they did like a first run just to, to give it a go. And they all just like turned up and sat down and had the sheet music in front of them, and they're like. Go and it's just like boom, the whole orchestra just burst out into this amazing like, the fuck. And it was, it was just the three of us sitting in this amazing orchestra hall in Bratislava with an orchestra performing the whole thing for us that they'd never seen before in their lives. It was insane. Yep, yep, wow. yep. People who make a living in an orchestra are scary good at music. Mm. Um, they're also, which I never would have presumed, they're, they're like naughty children. Like we were up in the audio booth for a lot of it, and the conductor would be like, shut up. <laughs> you, 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 shut up. <laughs> shut it. All right, shut it. We're gonna do another. What did I just say? 
there's, there's that weird thing. I, I assume it's the same with orchestras as it is when, when you're like in a band with people where you know, you're in between takes or you're in between sessions or whatever, and like everyone's just sat there and they're just playing their instruments and you get this horrible cacophony. <laughs> but yeah. there's this, always the stereotypical thing. I don't know if it's just from watching old cartoons or whatever, where like the orchestra's getting ready and they all tune up and end up in tune at the same time. And it's like this noise that comes together in one note. It's like, yeah, that never yeah. happens. But every time uh, I've been in a practice room with other people, it's like I'm noodling on the guitar, the drummer's kind of doing a jazz beat. It just sounds like something fucking awful. <laughs> that like the Sony PlayStation 3 intro yeah, when you turned that on? Because I, had, I hadn't put that together. Like, my brain hadn't put that. Because they, they came in and, and like, they, they tuned up. And then they're like, okay, ready? And then we'll do a C. I guess, oh, I was like, PlayStation! <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? That's how it works. It's just, yeah. The stupid part of my brain just put that together. <laughs> just a- Meanwhile, the choir is singing Sega. <laughs> <laughs> just a quick one Ross since you mentioned Star Citizen and this is not nothing to do with music but I see that you met Mark Hamill what was that like because I love Mark Hamill and oh my god um, it was it was just too much yeah. frankly <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie I did a little cry in my throat when he first <laughs> I think I would too as well I think it'd probably yeah, put him up there as one of my heroes like I think he's Amazing. I thought I was going to be cool. And because, I mean, I, I didn't have, I was just standing in for someone jockeying levels on the, um, the, the actors while they were recording for the motion capture stuff. So I was very, there was like 17 of us around the periphery and I was like one of the lowest, you know, I, I had no involvement with them, but I was still there just turning knobs up and down and stuff. But the second he walked out, I thought, humming binary sunset to myself (laughs) (laughs) so the the rest of the crew had been there for a while and um they said like on his first day nobody was really talking to him or um taking things to sign or anything like that and after the first day he said to the director was like what's wrong with your staff like normally when i go places people like it if if i could talk to them sign things take pictures and they're like, are you all right with that? I said, like, yeah, why not? Aww. So like next day, everyone's coming in like wheelbarrows. Of <laughs> <laughs> so I took down, um, I have it over, hold on. Uh, no, I can, hold on. Yeah, next week, I'm going to get it. <laughs> I have an ATA from when I'm a kid that Mark Hamill signed. Oh, amazing. Wow. Look at that. That's amazing. Um, it's not just a picture, so- it's a fucking ATA. <laughs> <laughs> side panel down with me and um they said um if you want him to sign anything be cool pick your moment don't interrupt production so like day three it'd been quite busy day three <laughs> and he's like we're taking a lunch break he's like i'm just gonna sit down and sign a few things for fans i was like oh, this is it this is my moment <laughs> so i took it over for him and um it, i was like Can I have a picture and, and he, was, he was really lovely and he's like what am, what am i signing here like it's the side panel from Nata. And he, he said, well, there is a thing. Is it, do you think it's ATAT or ATAT? <laughs> I said, I said, I've always said ATAT. I think it, it scans better. I've always and, said ATAT. Yeah. Yeah. I he said, well, well. Exactly. That's what I think. And I was like, oh my God. Me, my <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, then I ruined it by saying, but you should know best. You took one down in a snow speeder. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and silence. And he's like, ugh. I just handed it back to me. <laughs> oh, you flew too close to the sun there, Ross. You flew too close. The wings melted. I was just picturing you there with all your fingers going. Doo, 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 doo. Oh, can you sign this one? 
I was so close to being cool with him. I just, yeah, I so overshot cool. it. By yeah. Him. Awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Though. <laughs> Do you know if Star Citizen's ever coming out? Oh, poor old Star Citizen. It's, um, it's a difficult one because it's like two games in one. They have like a, a narrative, uh, like cinematic story game called Squadron 42. Yeah. And they have their, what they call the Persistent Universe, which is like, it's their open universe game. And in fairness to them, the open universe game is already like stuff in that is far beyond the tech and the, the um, ambitions of anything else ever. Like if you play it, the, the stuff you can do in that is already phenomenal. Like it gets a lot of bad press because of like the money associated yeah. with it and stuff. Um, you know, you can already fly down to a planet from space and land and walk around, like get in someone else's ship and fly off to another planet and with no loading or anything. It's, it's really cool. But I think um, they're kind of hamstrung by their own ambitions. On it. I just I think they find it very hard to put a stopping point on anything because they want it to be the biggest thing ever. And yeah, I, I always get the impression they don't have a definition of done. It's just like the game director's like, no more, give me more. Yeah, I think it's like Chris Roberts, the director. He's like a really like I've got um, a lot of time for him. He's a pioneering guy and he's he's a nice chap. But he's I think he don't think he can really. It's that he just can't put an end to it. He just yeah. wants. He, if something finishes, is like, let's make it twice as awesome. The universe is ever expanding, and so is Star Citizen. Yeah. Seems so. Uh, moving on with the mail, uh, Cowgoes Moo has said uh, two games that immediately spring to mind were banging soundtracks of Disco Elysium. Yes. Correct. And Paradise Killer. So another one. Oh, Par- so Paradise Killer was a, it's kind of this weird, trippy sci fi detective y game that came out on PC and Switch last year. And um, it has the most amazing kind of, I think you would call it like kind of Tokyo synthwave soundtrack. It's a little bit disco. It's a little bit synthwave, a little bit vaporwave. It's it's phenomenal. And it's it's one of these ones where you start off when you start playing the game, you only actually have the one track unlocked and you have to like find records throughout the, the world. You find them pretty quickly, but there's like four, there's like a full album's worth of songs on there. Who was the composer? Was it Epoch or something like that was the composer for it? But uh, it's absolutely banging. It's really, really good. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, you're obviously a busy man. How on earth can you keep up with everything that's happening in the game world with all the different companies, composers? You must be sort of overwhelmed trying to keep track and influences yeah. that are out there. You just have to go by word of mouth sometimes, I guess, don't you? Yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, uh, I, I don't get to spend the amount of time actually playing games. No. So, but I mean, I've, I have like a, you know, just a, my professional friends in different companies and we have different groups where we chat about <coughs> music. But yes, it's really difficult. There's so many, especially like the, the you know, smaller, more like fringe games and stuff. So it's very hard to keep up with all the basic stuff coming out. And there's, yeah, so much new stuff. Just something that's popped into my head. just thought, you know, when in films, you have two films that come out at the same time that have this similar theme, like, you know, um, Armageddon and uh, Deep Impact. Know, Deep Impact. Yeah. Does that often happen in music design where you've come up with this brilliant, you know, score or something, and then you just hear that somebody's done something very similar, not obviously identical, but just like you think you've just come up with the best thing ever and somebody else has done something really similar. Like, how the fuck did you come up with that at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it happens. Um, I've, I've had times when I've, I've changed things when, like, I've, I've been working towards an idea and then. A big game comes out and they've kind of done what I was in the process of doing. Like, oh, not the least here. I was, I did just off my own back, I did a version of the uh, the Tetris theme tune that was like half 
like orchestral half uh, homage to the original. I really should have listened to the new Tetris game before I bought this. <laughs> 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 it's exactly the same thing. Just it is good though, isn't it? Yeah, their version is so much better. So, <laughs> so uh, moving on, Reyes said, um, after a harrowing journey through the decayed land of Lordran, the chosen undead finally stands in front of the kiln of the first flame. Inside, Gwyn, the Lord of Sunlight, the last great lord, creator of the Age of Fire, and the conclusion of his long quest is waiting inside. On the way, the insignificant undead have conquered demons, dragons, as well as the demigod-like knights of the kingdom. In every battle, the undead can hear epic music ring in his ear, magnificent orchestra symphony injecting courage and ambition to the warrior who challenges the insurmountable over and over again. However, the music inside the kiln is nothing epic but a simple piano solo. It's quiet, gentle, but the pressing beats convey an unmistakable sense of melancholy and mourning while weapons clashing in the arena. Facing the undead is a crown-wearing, a crown-wearing husk. His soul has been burnt away with only a hollow remaining. He's no longer the god of thunder who slayed dragons or a ruthless ruler who is willing to plot and exploit to ensure the survival of his reign. He is Gwyn, Lord of Cinder. Cycles will still go on in this world devoid of hope after the battle, but this melody piece provides the undead a moment of serene like wa- serene like the warmth of a bonfire in the dark, and it will pull the heartstring of gamers for years to come. I mean, he's not wrong. Gwyn's theme is very different to the rest of the soundtrack in Dark Souls. It's quiet and paced and beautiful and just not the bombastic mess that is the Ornstein mm. small music. <laughs> uh, our poorly host Oodles said, um, I do sincerely apologise for being ill and missing the show and forfeiting my chance to meet Ross. However, I'm sure you will all treat him with our world-renowned hospitality and warmth. No, of course not. We're being absolutely mean to him. Can't, can't, can't you see the poor lads in tears? Um, as, as to answer this week's topic, it's well known I'm certainly no expert in gaming soundtracks and my knowing stems more from the 16-bit SNES era and mainly the great work of Nobu Uematsu of Final Fantasy fame. My favourite tracks being Prelude, main theme, and its seminal mm. aria de mezzo catare, karate, rather. Far from the, <laughs> so glad you're reading the mail about this one. From the famous opera scene of uh, Final Fantasy VI. It's amazing how Uematsu managed to squeeze every drop of heart into that bit-tune magnum opus for which, which, for my money, has never been bested. I'm going to go back in my coffin now and continue to fade away with dignity. <laughs> yes, poor lad is dying right now. Yeah, I get well soon. Um, is that is that it for a heaving chest? No, don't don't. Oh. Still heaving. There's a lot more to come. Uh, so I'm going to start rattling through these ones quickly. Nimrod Hicks has said, "Dear magnificent ear candy, my shout for the game soundtrack is for the 1983 ZX Spectrum classic Manic Miner." Nice. The music for this game is an assault on the senses from its title screen music, which is an ear-bending version of the Blue Danube played with by what sounds like a madman on acid having a fight with a stylophone to the monstrous drone of Edvard Grieg's main theme, which plays throughout the game's ridiculously hard playthrough. Myself and my brothers played the game for like a billion hours when we were kids, and although the music is harsh to the ear, it evokes many fond memories. I mean, Manic Miner's got some fucking great music to it. It did, yeah. Monty on the Run is one of mine. <laughs> Uh, Best Boy Angry Kurt has said, I've written many times about the excellence of Hotline Miami, and that is partly due to its soundtrack. Even the, even the sequel, the soundtrack was still great, and I've gone on to follow some of the artists. If I could recommend any track and artist, it would be the cover of Maniac from Carpenter Brute, who, finished, who featured on Hotline Miami 2. Other favourites I've seen people bring up are Doom 2016, Doom Eternal, and Mario Galaxy, and the Halo series. But I... I also want to give a shout out to Katana Zero, which has a similarly sounded soundtrack to Hotline Miami and nearly equals it. I don't think I've played Katana Zero. Have I played Katana Zero? I haven't played it. Uh, and 
last up, is it last up? Yes, it's last up. We have Debbie Punk because he sent in another fucking essay. Yeah. <laughs> Told him to send Literally one in. just as we were recording as well. Yeah. Came well late. It on purpose. Yeah. Dearest mock essentialists. He's being mean again. Uh, after being peer pressured to write in by that gentleman scholar and fellow modern escapism discordian Kergo's Moo, also by that fragile turd held together with cobwebs and monkey jizz and stig, I thought I'd better get to type it. Fucking hell, punk man. One of those things is not true. It's not Music forever encapsulates a moment in your life. Seems like albums, timestamp childhood and teenage years better than photographs for memory. This works with adverts just as well as with bands. Whistling Quality Street's Magic Moments Melody by Perry Como in a busy shop is a great way to wreck multiple heads and days at once. It's the repetitive nature of the same song on a loop. Before streaming services, we had a small collection of tapes or CDs that would be repeated non-stop. Another form of looping music was, of course, video games. Super Mario All-Stars is the first game or collection of games I can recall getting stuck in my head. Mario's athletic theme by the legendary Koji Kondo. I can hear the first few notes and I'm transper- transported back to my SNES days. Trying to squeeze in ten minutes before the bus uh, to school was set to arrive, much to Mama Punk's chagrin. The memory restraints mean these songs could only play for so long, so only so many channels open to them. It meant you had to be creative with limited resources, which ended up with some of the catchiest earworms known to nerd. He's very much right here. Capcom needs a mention here too. I became a massive fan of Mega Man after playing 7 and the X games. Many a great tune found among them. But when I was told by the rental shop teenager that they were, and I quote, pure shite compared to the older <laughs> titles... I got my hands on an airs to sample the originals, and when you begin the vinegar strokes of the second game, you land at Dr. Wily's castle. The theme that plays during the segment is possibly one of my favourite bits of video game music. They remixed this track when Mega Man appeared on Super Smash Bros, which made his reveal trouser-shittingly brilliant. <laughs> Capcom also gets more points for Phoenix Wright, Street Fighter, Breath of Fire, Devil May Cry, and nearly all of their properties have cracking tunes. And I hope Tetris Effect has been brought up before now. Technically, it was. Ross brought it up. Great music and games combined with the visuals and players' control become a cocktail of dopamine-leaking pleasure. And now back to Mystical Ninja. Or not. Short on time. Fuck you. Stig especially. Love <laughs> <laughs> you too, buddy. Yeah, solid, solid options there from the listeners. There's a lot mm. of good, good video game music there. That was a... Excellent heaving chest there. And uh, Ross, I've got one question for you before we let you go. Um, if you could work on one franchise, be that gaming, movie, anything, what would it be? Um, I'd really like to do music for Mortal Kombat because yeah. Mortal Kombat. Yes. Awesome. If they redid, if they did another Manhunt game. Ooh, uh, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. Because that had a great score. I'd love to do like a nice sort of video nasty Retro 80s, wobbly, manhunt score. Uh, yeah, I think those two primarily. Like, mm. Maybe Doom as well. I was going to mention Doom. Get I the, hear they're the uh, hiring. Out. <laughs> yeah. My guitar hasn't got enough strings. That's a problem. <laughs> well, it's just it's an excuse to go guitar shopping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Does anyone else have any questions for Ross before we let him go? Uh, no, most of the questions I had have kind of. I think it's been brilliant. Been, uh, I don't think of anything else. Answered and Excellent. asked throughout. Well, before we move on to the socials, then, Ross, why don't you plug yourself? Give us your website, your YouTube channel. Let us know. Uh, what's the best way to get me? Well, um, my website's probably a nice, straightforward way of finding all my stuff. It's just www.rostragenza.com. Uh, and if you check me out on Spotify, pretty much everything I've done that's been released from games and things, 
and a few bits of extra music I've done are all on Spotify. Uh, so yeah, that's probably the best place to go. Um, just put my name into to Facebook. You'll find me chatting on there and Twitter as well. But uh, yeah, just go to my website. You'll get all the links and gubbins from there. It's the easiest way to find everything else. And if you if you look in the show notes um, for this episode, you I'll, I'll I'll have links to Ross's shit in there. Cool, you fine. You, you can find them that way. Excellent. Socials then, as always, you can visit our website at modernescapism.co.uk. On there, you can find a link to all of our socials, contact details, and our merch store. If you have any comments or feedback, or if you'd like to contribute to our heaving sack, you can fill out a form on our website, tweet us, or email us on modernescapismpod at gmail.com. We also have a Discord server if you'd like to join our community of listeners for a chat about the podcast and many other aspects of pop culture and escapism. We really do have an amazing community of listeners and there's a heavy focus on mental health on there as well. So if you need a bit of support from like-minded people, we are here to listen to you. If you enjoy Twitch and want to keep keep us company whilst fumbling our way through games, you can find us on twitch.tv forward slash modern escapism. We all have regular streams and the best way to keep up with them is to either follow our Twitch channel so you know when we're going live or keep an eye on Twitter. We've already told you about our Patreon, so if you're feeling generous and want to give us a bit of extra support so we can continue to bring you new content, please consider subscribing on patreon.com forward slash modernescapism. We really do appreciate any contributions. Um, And if you want to support us in a non-financial way, leaving us a five-star review wherever you can really does make a difference to us too. Um, Next week, we have another very, very special show for you. We will be coming to you from an undisclosed location in our very own (laughs) podcastle. And we'll be bringing you a very special in-person podcast. And this is going to be the first time all of us have been in the same room together. So I imagine there'll be some uh, shenanigans going on. Needs to be a big room too. Oh, that's, yeah. Well, there better be, actually. We haven't checked, have I mean, we? I'll take up about half of it, so, you know. <laughs> and I'll take the other half, so that'll be after outside. <laughs> we'll get very cosy. It'll be fine. And there's a hot tub, so we might even do a hot tub stream, or Biggie certainly will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's break Twitch while we're at it. Why don't we? <laughs> we'll go up against Amaranth. It'll be fine. And uh, our subject next week, <laughs> our favourite movies are going to go head-to-head in a live Battle Royale showdown, and... We'll be announcing our picks shortly in the Patreon section. We will also be recording a Patreon special whilst we're at the Podcastle, plus a couple of episodes of Scorch Sheep, and assuming we don't all kill each other before we get a chance, of course. (laughs) And I just want to take the opportunity to thank you, Ross, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure, and you've been an excellent guest. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. A lovely time. Thank you so much. And uh, that's it. You're dismissed. You may go. I will uh, give you a message shortly to say thank you again. But yeah, as I said, been a wonderful guest and it's been lovely to speak to you finally properly. Thanks for your time. (laughs) Much appreciated. Yes. Thank you so much, Ross. See you later. Bye. Right. That's it for the main show. Thank you as always for joining us. And if you are a Patreon, you can meet us, as Oodle says, round the back and we shall meet you there. Thanks everyone for joining us. And we shall see you next week. What a hunk.